Welcome to Kingdom in Context. I'm Sean. Thank you for joining me tonight. We are going to be looking at seven arguments from a very popular YouTube pastor. He used to be a pastor at a physical brick and mortar church, and now he's taken his ministry online to YouTube. He's grown substantially in the last four to five years. Um, I like the guy and all transparency. I think he's great. I think he does a wonderful job on most topics. Um, he does come from a, a seminary belief set of Trinitarian doctrine, and he is uh, very zealous about defending that. Um, he put out a, a video about a year ago, I think, and he, he tried to address the seven most common arguments against the Trinity and how he was doing apologetics for the Trinity. And in that, uh, it's a very well-received video by people that believe in the Trinity. So I thought, what better way, what better opportunity for us to actually take a look at someone who is good at articulating the doctrine and at the same time um, put it all on video for us to look at and we're going to get to discuss that tonight. Guys, thank you so much. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the channel. Hit that thumbs up if you like shows like this and drop us a comment. Tell me what you think about broadcasts like this because we're going to be doing a lot more um, as we dig into understanding the scriptures and what they really say. And that's the reason why I want to address this topic is because there are so many people that believe the Trinity doctrine that cannot keep themselves in brotherly love, and they they lean towards condemnation if you don't agree with their interpretation of this doctrine. So uh, I thought it'd be great to arm those of you watching that don't agree with this doctrine and that, like us, might see clearly the biblical um, outline, the biblical scriptures that refute this doctrine, and give you something to, to go off of. And and um, so also, as you saw in the intro there, if you haven't already downloaded a Kingdom and Context app, be sure to do that. It's in the Google Play and the Apple Store. It's free. And you'll be notified when we go do videos like this, as well as weekly articles and announcements and other other really fun features that are coming along down the pike. So without further ado, we're going to have a guest tonight. Ken Heidebrecht from Hanging on His Words is joining us to discuss this wonderful video. Welcome, brother. Oh, sorry. Hey. Yeah, I got to blow the dust off. Remember how yeah. to do this again. Yeah, I know it's been a, a country while, but I am thankful that you had me on, brother. And uh, this is a topic that... It's just, it's not divisive at all. I don't know what your experience has been in <laughs> Christianity and your, you know, walk. I've never yeah. had any arguments with anyone about it. It's just clear and concise. And <laughs> you've, you've never been condemned to the lake of fire by anyone who believes this, right? Never been anathematized ever. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, in all, in all real though, it's, uh, it is an interesting topic for sure. And, um, it is brother Mike. He, yeah, like you said, he, he's definitely, uh, zealous and passionate. And I did watch his video afterwards i went through the comment section underneath that video and i was just intrigued as to you know how many how many people said that they were finding it clear and concise there were several people who thought it was still a little hazy you know yeah. rightfully so but um i always find it interesting how people say it like it clicks for them when it's yeah. always been in my experience somewhat ambiguous for me to fully understand especially if it's a salvation issue, right? Which it's and toted, toted to be. <laughs> you're right. And this is why uh, stick with us, guys, because we're going to go through the seven most popular arguments against the Trinity that Mike is going to be trying to defend. And number seven is what, what Ken just referenced there, which is they'll tell you, like, even if you don't understand it, you better still believe it because your salvation is on the line. So we're going to talk about that as well. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to do my best to control my facial reactions as we go through this and make sure that uh, we we do this and we go over the scriptures to, to address the points that Mike makes. We do that with as much love as possible. I think we have some 
attempts at humor we're going to try to put in this as well. So we're really happy that you guys are joining us tonight. So without further ado, let's jump into um, Mike's video real quick. Well, actually, what we've done is we've taken what, what I try to do justice because Ken and I both watched Mike's presentation. It's about an hour and a half long. And I tried to, to get as most concisely him addressing the seven arguments as well as him ex, him explaining his own understanding of the Trinity. Um, but all of the bulk of the video where he uses verses to try to uh, defend his points, I, I had to leave that out. You guys are going to have to go check out the, own, the original video if you want to see the fullness of that. But um, I think that this this small 20 minute segment we're going to look at concisely um, summarizes. Yeah. yeah it's, it summarizes exactly what he's trying to say and the fervency with which he, he thinks you must believe this. So let's take a look at it real quick. It'd be nice to each the other in the chat. The question I'm asking today is, are we right. right about the Trinity? And I really, I want to approach this from that perspective because we have a really big problem when it comes to the Trinity. As Christians, we have a serious problem. And I, I mean that. I'm not using hyperbole here. We have a serious problem. And the problem is um, that every cult out there attacks the Trinity and every every other religious group tends to target this issue. So right off the bat, guys, this is the, Ken, this is the part that I really struggle the most with is that yeah, he immediately lumps anyone who disagrees with you, disagrees with him, he lumps them into a cult. Yeah. This is consistent with what nine out of 99 out of a hundred Trinitarians I've ever met. They do. And this actually happened, Ken, this actually happened on one of my videos I did in the past where I debated a Trinitarian pastor. So mm -hmm. after we closed down the video and he and I were talking in the studio afterwards, he called me a cult member and a cult leader, actually, because I wouldn't agree with him on the Trinity. Yeah, it's it's they jump to the logical fallacies right away out the gate. Right. Yeah. Hominems. And it's uh, it's sad. And I, I understand it's funny because I I understand why they're so zealous and passionate about it. But at the same time, it's like, come on, we can refrain from using certain words. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just look, here's a list of groups that come against the doctrine of the Trinity, attack the doctrine of the Trinity, and they're better at attacking it than most Christians are at defending it. And then this is where we get into our problem. Like, this is where the issues arise. Um, so uh, let me walk you through seven questions that a cult member or someone in a different religion, perhaps maybe not technically a Christian cult, but but they're a different, different religion and they attack the Trinity with these questions. I want you to imagine yourself in the position of being asked these questions. Cause you may say to yourself, Mike, I know the doctrine of the Trinity, um, but can you answer the following questions? Question number one, they say to you, why isn't the word Trinity found in the Bible? So question number two, they say, Jesus, how could he be God? If Jesus said the father was the only true God. Then question number three, they, they, they quickly move away. Before you can even answer, they, they jump over to another passage of scripture, John 14, 28, and they say to you, um, say your name is Jeff, for instance, and they say, hey, Jeff, obviously Jesus isn't God because he said, my father is greater than I, right? You've heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would, re would have rejoiced because I'm going to the father for the father is greater than I. Who was Jesus praying to? I mean, can God pray to God when Jesus was praying? Who do you think Jesus was praying to? And number five, they hit you with another question. They say, how can Jesus be God if he's God's son? You can't be someone's son and be the same person. I'm not my dad. And then the sixth question, they say, in Colossians, it actually tells us that Jesus was created. 
it tells us Jesus was created. Colossians 1.15. It says, and now I'm, I'm imitating them. Okay, these are not my beliefs. <laughs> I'm in, this is role play, okay? In, John, uh, in Colossians 1.15, it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The implication is that Jesus himself is created. He's a created being, and, and so he can't be God because he's the firstborn of creation. He was just the first thing made. Now, this may not bother you, but many of you out there, you're like, this is really bugging you. In fact, the truth is that, uh, at least according to a recent poll by Ligonier Ministries, 78% of Americans say that Jesus is, quote, the first and greatest being created by God the Father. Did you hear that, Ken? He's mm -hmm. quoting 78% statistic, 78% of Christians thinks Jesus was created by the Father. Yeah, um, that is interesting based off of, you know, the, the third, fourth century councils that met up pertaining to this very debate that rages on today, right? That that statistic yeah. is very fascinating based off of that history. But yeah, go ahead there. Okay, but now those who know the doctrine of the Trinity say that's not the Trinity, right? That's heresy, that Jesus was a created being. <laughs> That's that's demoting Christ from the exalted omnipotence. So not not those not he didn't he didn't respond immediately with well here's a verse that refutes that idea showing that he's that he wasn't brought forth by the Father at any point that he's always existed, but yet he just counters it with according to the doctrine of the Trinity we know that that's heresy. So guys, I'm just bringing this to your attention because I want you to hear how many times he does this tonight. In addition to how many times he's going to use the word God without defining the word God. So these are two things as active participation in this video tonight as a live audience. Keep that in mind. Think about how many how many times he's going to address an argument, but he doesn't address it specifically with the scripture, but just by saying that's not what the doctrine of the Trinity teaches. <laughs> yeah. And then also as he's talking about uh, different verses, he tries to reference and other things. He never defines the use of the word God in the speech or in his explanation of what the Trinity is. So he, he likes to, he likes to appeal to the uh, authority of orthodoxy a lot. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And this is why Ken and I are here tonight to help you be aware of these types of, I don't want to call them tricks, Ken, cause I don't want to act like I'm demeaning him, but it's like, you know, it's like unintentional sleight of hand. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, it's like mm -hmm. people don't realize these little word plays that get thrown in, they slip by them. So we're here to bring it to your attention. <laughs> yeah and glorious eternality of, of being God to being just another created being. And then finally, they hit you with their last accusation and they just say to you, well, why is it if Jesus is God? Why didn't Jesus just say, hey, I'm God? And they bring out a Bible and they say, show me a verse. Here's a Bible. I got one right here. They go, show me a verse in here that says Jesus, where Jesus says, I'm God. You can't do it because you have an unbiblical pagan Roman doctrine that was invented by Constantine and was part of a Roman conspiracy to destroy the church and create pagan beliefs in the church and a bunch of So Ken, you know what the straw man is, right? Straw man is an argument that's not accurate, that you address, that's easy to dismantle because it's not even an accurate argument. So this so this is a straw man here where he claims that the arguments of the Trinity being developed by Constantine, but that's not true because the Council no. of Nicaea, to my understanding, was before Constantine. And that was the whole point of the Council of Nicaea was they wanted to make sure that Christians believe in the eternal nature of the sun. Okay. Um, my understanding was that Constantine gave, he actually called for the council to meet so that they could come mm -hmm. to some sort of a consensus on what to believe regarding, you know, the whole Godhead 
thing. Um, and then after, was, do, you, do you think that Constantine was actually at the Council of Nicaea? No, no, no. I don't think he was okay. actually so physically that's what, there. That's what he I was just, getting at. Oh, I thought you meant he wasn't it's even not, in that. I, time I apologize. Frame. Okay, I'm saying like he he wasn't the one that like like orchestrated it and said or not. I shouldn't say it like that. He wasn't the one that said um, th- this uh, this topic must be believed. He ruled over yeah. like people reported to him basically. He enforced people, it after. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The people that reported to him, which were the people that actually had the council and got together and argued with the Arians, they all were like, yeah. "You must believe the eternal nature of the sun in our in our Trinity language, uh, otherwise you're anathema." You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. a lot of people don't realize about 40, 50 years after that, um, there's actually an Arian leader took over who was Arian and died. Yeah, I know. Like that's a whole study in itself that they and never Constantine ends up kind of conceding to that and allowing that to be the thing like it, it's just so wishy-washy it's not as like black and white yeah. as you know modern day That's christians right. want to make it seem but it's yeah yeah the conspiracy theories can all come out at that point right um and so this is the problem right this is this is the big problem we've got is that christians you've got to be able to answer these questions why? Because we are an evangelical religion. We bring our faith into the lives of other people. We tell them about Jesus. And these are questions about who Jesus is. This is why we're on red alert back there in the background. Because this alert. is a huge issue. <laughs> this is a, um, I can't compromise. I'll die on the hill of, of the identity of Christ. I will literally die on this topic. I will give my life before abandoning the truth of who Jesus is. Um, it's that big of a deal. Uh, we cannot agree to disagree. Now we... It's interesting, though, because throughout history, no one who disagreed in the Trinity ever persecuted to death Trinitarians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But Trinitarians have literally persecuted to death people who refuse to believe in the Trinity. <laughs> so yeah, it's... it's kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird victimhood claim to be like, I will die on this hill of the Trinity, you know, which is which is weird. Like just even talking about what you had mentioned just before playing this clip, that the idea that um, like Arius coming from Arianism, just in case people don't know, uh, that's where the you know, the founder of the doctrine, I guess, uh, Arius, he was at this Council of Nicaea in 325, along with Eusebius and a couple others who were on his side of understanding how to understand the father and the son and their relationship versus everyone else right and you know what came out of that was a a ruling that trinitarianism was going to be the doctrine to understand and as sean mentioned like 40 50 years later things transitioned back to an arianistic point of view so it's like so they're willing to kill people over this right if you don't believe it but then they shifted and it's like oh that's awkward right because you're you're out allowing people to be you know uh was it deposed like yeah. get out of here you're no longer a bishop of you, you know you know get out of here you're out of the land and then they welcome them back later and it's just like it's so weird how to this day people are so adamantly like charged over this concept it's 1700 years man it's crazy how this yeah. is still uh, like we're having to do a video on it because that's how still much this and like i've said before in other videos youtube definitely seems to favor in the algorithm trinitarian content which is which yeah. is mind-blowing to me but it uh, uh, there's something behind this that's not normal i would just put it like that right because oh. the the way that people get so charged about this issue and and make it a salvation issue when it's not 
because it, there's literally nothing in the scriptures that says you have to believe the, the eternal nature of the son or else you do not have salvation and don't know God. Mm -hmm. That is not the, the biblical definition of how you know God. We're told how you know God in first John two and three and Deuteronomy chapter six, and Leviticus and like a whole bunch of other places. We're told how you know God. And it's nothing to do with the language of the Trinity. It's nothing to do with the confessions of the Trinity or the confessions of the Nicene Council. And so this is man-made tradition that has been become like an absolute OCD tick within so many believers. And there's something about it that sticks with them and they just get so passionate and vehement about it. Yeah, I, I don't. And it's not productive and it's not loving. So I, I yeah, don't I mean, see it. It's It's because they've been duped into believing, as we said, like that it's tied to one's ability to resurrect into eternal life yeah right i think Which it's salvation yeah yeah it's not true but I, it would be dishonest to say that trinitarianism has like ruled and reigned as a a leading forefront unmatched and unchallenged doctrine since right. the fourth century because that's not it's not true if you look into history it there's trickles all through the timeline up to our day of people constantly saying no like there's this other view that's similar to what Arius was all about. Right. And yeah. you know what I will admit to, you know, I adhere to a lot of what Arius taught regarding that. I don't adhere to everything he did, even right. some nuances within yeah. that doctrine, just to make it clear. And it's weird that we have to even say that, you know what I mean? I don't yeah. believe everything. This should just be a given yeah. who on earth believes exactly 100% the same as someone else in this world. Well, that's right. that's the what I've always called theological intimidation that comes from this crowd of Trinitarian of, of rabid Trinitarians, where they will say, if you don't repeat after me, my doctrine, then you're not of the faith. And so it's yeah. like they're trying to, like, continually isolate believers who only will repeat after them, because if you try to describe it a little bit different way, like I had a, a, a debate with a Trinitarian one time and he kept trying to say, well, it's your Arian. I was like, no, I don't agree with everything Arian taught either. I just don't. And I also agree that Jesus existed before the world began. I just don't think the scriptures literally tell us when he was brought forth from the father, but I know that fathers come before sons. Yeah. So I, I'm inclined to believe that at some point the father brought forth, begot uniquely begotten, like he mm -hmm. brought forth his son at some point. It just doesn't tell us like, one, like when, because time wasn't being recorded yet. There was no sun, moon or stars. The creation wasn't being, wasn't made yet. So, and he was like, well, that's almost like Trinitarian. And I'm like, but because I won't use that little phrase, the eternal nature of the sun. But now when you go into the more broader scope of the classic Trinitarian doctrine, where they say that the father and son are co-equal and co-eternal, that's where I will fillet them open all day long with scripture, because that is just absolutely. Do you think at the Council of Nicaea, they ever, anybody ever brought up the idea that Jesus is a priest? Never. And you don't think anyone brought that up, do you? I don't, no. I don't either. I think that flew right by them, to be honest. They, yeah. didn't, they didn't catch the fact that that was like out of all the titles and roles that he plays and juggles at once, like that's one of them, you know, <laughs> more important and ever present ones that he does right now. He's a king. He just isn't technically ruling right now on our earth as that king. He's a judge. He just hasn't technically judged anybody yet at the appointed time, but he is yeah. a priest currently. So it's like, you know, let, let's try to keep up here with, with the roles that he's playing, right? <laughs> that's right. Let's use the words in the book. Yeah. We can disagree and be kind and gracious, we don't have to, you know, <laughs> become angry about the topic, but, but we will stand our ground on the topic of the Trinity. Okay, guys, he's going to define the Trinity in his words. And I thought this was a pretty accurate description and this is for what we see other people define the Trinity. So that's why I thought we should include this real quick. It's about three to four minutes long. 
And then maybe Ken and I will just break some things down. This is what we've got to understand because a lot of times when people attack the Trinity, they they act like when we say Trinity, we don't mean monotheism, that we mean some kind of tritheism, some three gods, but that's not the case, right? That's not the Trinity. That's a heresy. That's something we absolutely reject. Um, if you have a view of God that compromises monotheism, something's seriously wrong, right? The Trinity does not do this though. The Trinity involves monotheism as the, its bedrock. So what is the Trinity? What's a good uh, definition of the doctrine of the Trinity? Well, it's the the word itself is is a good a good place to start, right? Trinity. It comes from two words, tri, and then unity. Being putting these two words together, tri meaning three, like tricycle. You know, unity being three in one. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. He's three in one. But already people are really confused about this. They talk about it sometimes rather poorly. And so uh, let me explain what we mean by three in one. What we don't mean is that God is three gods in one God. That is not the doctrine of the Trinity. There aren't three gods in one God. That's just a contradiction that doesn't make a lot of sense. Listen closely, folks. Listen closely. He's still he's still not defining the word God. So listen closely. Remember, this is one of the things we told you to be very mindful of as he talks. Don't be don't be lulled to sleep by his cadence or by his very nice tone. Listen very closely to the words he's using because he's not, he's not defining any of these terms and he's actually going to contradict himself, which he already has with the word monotheism. Mm -hmm. That's not what we mean. What we mean is this. There are three um, who's and there's one what. Three who's and one what. That is, the three who's are the persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So we can't call them three gods, but we can call them three who's. Yeah, just re redress them. Yes. You know, put on a different class. That's the tri of the Trinity. The what, the unity part, that's God. There's one God. There are three persons in the one God. That's the Trinity in a nutshell. Um, the, uh, the, the unity part, the God part that we're speaking of is that's God's being. That's his essence. That's who he is. That's, this is, this is like what God is, I should say. And then the, uh, the who's are the, the persons, father, son, spirit. So Trinity three in one is not three gods in one God. No, it's three persons one God. Okay. So this is tough for me because he says it's not, it's, it's not against monotheism that Trinitarian at its bedrock is monotheism and that there's only one God, but he's redefining the word God to include three who's into that term one God. And so this is where they sometimes use the, the term that's brought up in Colossians, you know, the Godhead, right? Mm -hmm. And that was a very common term in the ancient world because lots of ancient cultures like India, Greece, and Egypt um, had Godheads. They had their own versions of the Trinity with their false gods. And the whole idea was it was three who's that shared equal authority and power and judicial ruling and praise and respect and worship. It was three gods that were different characters and individuals that as a three, as a triune Godhead, uh, the, the ancient Indies, the Indians called it the Trimurti, um, which was, they, they were all respected the same. It was Brahma, Shiva, and, um, Vishnu. And they were all considered the same power, the same authority to all be respected the same because they had, they, they weren't always in the same place at the same time. So therefore you shared authority, um, as one of them will make an appearance. Or if there were different idols built in different cities, they're not omnipresent gods, right? So they would have a shrine in each city to different gods, and they were all respected the same. So it's very interesting that we see. Did you know that, Ken, that even in the Greek uh, mythology, 
below the main gods of um, of uh, Greece, uh, excuse me, of Zeus and um, and Apollo, and uh, I'm going blank right now, but of the the Greek tra- uh, tribe, the Greek Trinity, Zeus oh, and Apollo, and uh, which was also called Helios, and Hades are also called Hermes. Below that were other sub levels of trinities with lesser lesser gods on their little family tree. Mm-hmm. So the idea of the trinity was replete throughout all pagan nations at all times. And I know that he, you know, our brother Mike doesn't like us using that, that type of description because that, that was one of the things he tried to bring up to address at the very beginning. Like people claim it's pagan stuff. It's pagan infiltration of the faith and all that. And I'm like, there's a ton of similarity in other anti Yahweh nations that worship trinities. Yeah. And what's ironic is that Greek pantheon, like that triad that you just, mentioned it has zeus as the top right Mm -hmm. and so trinitarianism by default believes that the three father son holy spirit are co-equal co-eternal they're all omniscient omnipresent and omnipotent right so they Mm -hmm. all share the same thing there's no ranking so the greeks even had a rank in some degree correct yeah and i think subtly trinitarians do also rank them whether they want to admit that or not because depends on which <laughs> one this, you're talking to yeah and this this may be kind of a silly example but like when we say the first person of the trinity why do we always go to the father first right why don't we start with the holy spirit's number one why is the father not number three you know what i mean like it, it's subtle yeah. little things that is infiltrated in our in our conscience that it's like uh, we know deep down that the father holds a place of you know, m- more importance, I guess. Like, <laughs> so it's, to me, it's just kind of funny. Like it, it, it's struggling against this, this cognitive dissonance that people don't realize is going on. You know what I mean? It, yeah, it's, it's funny. And it's also frustrating. Um, and we just hope as, as lovingly as possible tonight that we get you to think about some of these things, because like I just showed, uh, like I just tried to get you to uh, think about was our, all right, so I'm going to, I'm going to bring this up so that we can look at it real quick. Our, uh, our brother Mike talked about how... Okay, one second. Talked about how... Um, talked about how all these gods are all the, the who's, the three who's of the Trinity. Okay. Now, he didn't actually... Div- he keeps saying they're all a part of God. They're all considered God. They can be called God, but it's three who's that comprise the quote unquote G.O.D. And this is every single pastor or interview that I've done where I talk with with someone that believes in the Trinity, um, a classic Trinitarian, not oneness theology, but classic Trinitarianism. They also will never define the word God. And it's 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 a wild thing. So this is from the Hebrew of the word Elohim, uh, the word God, Strong's 430. And this tells you we're. The short definition is God, but it gives you all these other ways that it's used according to the context in scripture. Yeah. So that would be great information to have to present to an audience who's testing this, this out. Right. I mean, as you said, like he, he throws the word out there, like the audience is supposed to know the exact definition that he has in his own mind that that he's running with. Right. And it just, it's a huge amount of extra (laughs) context here. Yeah. So, it, every time the word God, it's not always talking about the Father or the Son, and it's not always talking about 
angels or the Holy Spirit, right? So you just have to look at the context. And then obviously when it's talking about false gods that they worship to demons and then sacrifice your children to demons, well, it's talking about demons mm-hmm. that are false gods. You know what I mean? The unclean spirits. And then there's even other points, there's very few, but there's other moments where it actually considers judges, even judges of mankind, specifically the ones in the ancient nation of Israel referred to as gods. And Yeshua tells us this in John 10, right? As he's talking to Pharisees, he's like, even you said that, you know, to whom the law was given, you become gods. Because it's also a generic term for ruler. And this is the part that I don't think, I just think no one's ever been taught. And unfortunately, I don't think seminaries are teaching this. Is it's just a generic term for ruler. But then according to the context, you realize, is it the almighty ruler, which is the father? Is it his son, the ruler of heaven and earth, which was given authority to him by the father? Right? Which mm-hmm. which means he's still subservient to the almighty, which is what First Corinthians 15 tells us, right? Paul says, and when he subjected all things, yeah. it is clear that he did not subject the father to the son so that the father is still over the son and authority. So they're not co-equal ever. They're never co-equal. I did a whole show on that. Um, But the term Elohim, it's also called the Theo or the Theos in the Greek in the new Testament. You have to look at the context because sometimes it's talking about false gods and demons. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes it's, it's talking about false angels. Sometimes it's talking about Jesus. Sometimes it's talking about Yahweh himself, the almighty. So let's say you brother. Well, what I say is uh, Mr. Winger mentions in the hour and a half long video, it's not in this condensed version that we have here tonight, but he mentions how he does have a little bit of a background with some some Greek. And um, when you do pull up the word theos, which is the word for God in Greek, it isn't as extensive in the concordance as what we would see in the Hebrew, right? And so he, he never mentions Hebrew, right? It would help. As I said, like it would help the audience to know what this word that he keeps inferring all the time means in its extensiveness. And so, obviously, if if the word God in Hebrew, which is Elohim, means what Sean has here on the screen, or it can mean all these things depending on the context, then when it translates over to the Greek for theos, that same stuff comes with it, even though the translators may not have said it also can mean judges, mighty, great, you know, mighty ones, uh, etc. So yeah. I think we just assume, or maybe he just assumes, basing everything off of the Greek, that it just means God, right? <laughs> so it would help him to, to know maybe a little bit more into the Hebrew and to dig into into the usage of the word all over the scripture. Absolutely. And and it's, uh, I just want to mention to the, uh, the audience here, like if you guys are interested, if you're just new to this concept or you're, just recently testing it out and are maybe not sure what to believe. Sean's done several videos. Obviously, check his channel out. I also have a playlist over on my channel hanging on his words. Uh, the playlist is called The Father and His Son. I've done several videos on it. And even just the one um, that I put out probably about half a year ago, maybe a little longer, it's called God or God. And it's capital G God or small g God. And basically, I, I in that video, I just ba- I highlight how translators based off their own biases and training and understanding of whatever they learned growing up implement um, certain techniques and words and capitalization in the text to try to get you the reader to understand what they think is correct and that can throw a lot of people off and some of the examples that mike uses in his video like one of them is when thomas says my lord and my god right it's a capital g there my lord and my capital g god so right away, our minds want to think, capital G, oh my gosh, that, that's talking about the one creator, the almighty God, right? It must be. Um, but it's not. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it doesn't yeah. have to be a capital G is what I'm getting at. The capitalization 
it, it can throw people off. So I just want people to, you know, peruse that playlist and make sure that when you're reading scripture and you're approaching um, this topic with a new eyes and you're, you're wanting to test things, you need to be aware of the fact that the English language with the capitalization, that, that is, that's contingent on our language and not necessarily ancient languages, which didn't have capitalization. So I just want people to know that. Yeah, because in that passage in John that you just mentioned, it's there's more to the story, right? This oh, is yeah. the this is the context. So uh, I don't know what's going on with all these notifications. Stop notifying me. Um, <laughs> I didn't even turn that on. It just started happening. Um, so basically, she was like, you know, I'm going to go back to my God and your God. Yeah, you know, in the same passage, in the same in the same chapter of John 20. And so, yeah, he tells Mary this, but then when he's talking to Thomas down here, he's, he's like, what did he forget that? No, he didn't forget that. He just said it to Mary like a few minutes earlier. Yeah. So this is, this is just like not reading the patent, you know, to my memory, I don't believe he actually addressed this in his video about, about him telling Mary that I'm going back to my God, my authority, my ruler, Mm -hmm. Jesus, the, the ruler over Jesus is the father. It's that simple. So he tells us it's, and this is where, Ken, this is where I struggle so, so much because it's like, where he, like you said earlier, this idea of cognitive dissonance, right? That it's, in case no one's familiar with that term, it's an idea that the mind just refuses to accept something because you've, you've thought something else for so long. And it's just, there's, it just takes time to be like, man, I can't, I'm having a hard time with this. You know, like, what do you mean? Like, and you're like, bro, it's like right here. Jesus says he has a God and it's the father. It's, yeah. it's not hard. And they're like, yeah, but I've been told that Jesus is God. And you're like, Yes. What's the definition of God? You know what I mean? How's yeah. it being used in that? It, Jesus was made King of Kings and Lords of Lords. That's a ruler that falls into the definition of the word God. And so therefore, even he has an authority over him, the almighty. So that's uh, yeah, it's very, very frustrating. <laughs> okay, guys. So before we get into the actual seven questions that he brought forward, okay, we heard Mike Winger bring up the Trinity and explain it the best he knew how. He didn't uh, he didn't draw any diagrams or anything like that. So for some of you that might be more visual, that like actual animations, we prepared a few other things for you to watch um, so that you can actually see other people describe the exact same thing he did, but with some actual animations. Okay, so hopefully this will be um, helpful to you. And these are from other other sources here. I think I finally understand the Trinity. Uh, what are you doing? I'm gonna pour the entire ocean into this hole. Impossible! You can't fit the ocean into that tiny little hole. And you can't fit the Trinity into your tiny little brain. (laughs) And there it is. This is why I chose that clip. There it is, Ken. We hear this all the time, right? Yeah. Every time you you start with scripture, you start deconstructing the Trinity doctrine, which is which is a man-made tradition and you start showing them in the scriptures that that the scriptures don't line up. I get this almost every time. Well, it's a mystery. We can't truly understand God. And I'm like, he wouldn't have told us his words through the prophets or his son or the apostles. If we couldn't understand it, he didn't give us an entire volume that people died for so that we could just be in confusion. (laughs) Yeah. It's to me, it's like, yeah, (laughs) If Yahweh says that we perish or his people perish for lack of knowledge, right? And one of the things yeah. that we need to know is him and who he is, who his son is. It, it's so complex that our minds can't even wrap our minds around it. 
then how is the father supposed to know? Like, how's, how are we supposed to know him? Are we, we're just going to continue perishing because we don't understand. Like it, the whole thing doesn't make sense. Like that logic yeah. makes zero sense <laughs> to me. But you know where that logic comes from. And I, and I'm not going to mince words about this guys. And this is why I know there were probably some good hearted people at the council. And I see that may have uh, come to some bad understandings of scripture because they, they did not have, they were being persecuted. They did not have the fullness of the access to the scriptures like we do today as easily. They may have had access to them if they, if they, went out of their way, but not as easily as Googling at the tip of your fingertips like we do today. So it was a much grant. It required a lot more effort for the average person to study the ancient scriptures of Israel. And around the second, third century AD, the, the, the religious Jews of the day were siding with Rome to persecute the Christians. So a lot of the Christians started developing a very anti-Semitic attitude against the, the Hebrew communities. Okay, the Jewish communities, specifically the rabbi-led Jewish communities. Um, so they're, in my understanding, they're not reading a bunch of the Old Testament and studying it on a regular basis. So by the time you get to the third century, they're already they have these new traditions that are popping up with what's called Italian philosophers. This is from Rome. These are these are people that have become converts a couple hundred years after after Paul's missionary journeys, and they're philosophers at heart, trying to understand God but not through the lens of scripture, through the lens of their philosophy, right? Yeah. Because that's, they were, it was, it was all the rage back then guys. Like you go down to, to one of the public squares and you watch the guys sit around and philosophize about stuff. Yeah. Right. So now you put in this idea of faith and them having a, a transformative experience meeting Yeshua. Right. And, and wanting to be a good Christian and love people knowing that Christians are being thrown to lions and persecuted everywhere. And they're trying to, from a philosophical perspective, they're trying to explain God and our relationship with him and this relationship with the Father and the Son as best as they can, but they did not do it through the lens of actual scripture. And this is why we, we joked earlier about them probably never mentioning the priesthood of Jesus because they they wouldn't understand it, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't, the, the temple in Jerusalem had already been destroyed. They did know what priests were to false gods like Zeus and everything. So they knew what a priest did at a temple to God, but at the same time, from the third century forward, as the as the idea of Catholic powers consolidated and doctrine was consolidated, they also started teaching this idea that we're in this new covenant and Jesus has given the apostolic secession on the earth to these leaders, and now they are the vicars of Christ on earth to establish doctrine and to tell you how to believe, and you better listen to them. And it became very strange it got weird bro let's just put it like that oh, yeah. it got really awkward and these and this, there's a lot of non-scripture being implored into this so then that's where you started getting antinomian concepts coming in and people's you know now they didn't change the sabbath for like another 700 years or whatever but as far as you know other concepts about trying to distinguish themselves as christians instead of being a part of grafted into israel through the jewish community because there was animosity between the, the existing Pharisaical Jews and the burgeoning group of Christians who are being persecuted. So there's a lot that goes into this. And we're not trying to just blast and say that everyone that believed in the Trinity at the Council of Nicaea are somehow evil people. We're not saying that. I'm not saying that. Are you saying that, Ken? <laughs> no, no, I don't think they're evil. I just, okay. They're working yeah. off of the limited information and text yeah. that they had to work with. Yeah. yeah. So as a result of this, it would make perfect sense from their mindset of, of the Roman Greek philosophy mindset that 
if they if they're having to fill in the gaps because they don't have the scriptures to do so and they're having to do it through philosophy there's when it comes to things they can't explain it makes perfect sense for them to say it's a mystery that you just can't understand because they would do the same thing about the the greek gods you can't always explain everything. You can't explain exactly where Mount Olympus is because the average person can't go to it anyway. So therefore, it's a mystery, right? So there's all kinds of, of adaptations um, that flows into a person's theological framework if they don't actually have the Old Testament. And this is the, this is yeah. the disadvantage our brethren in the faith in the 3rd and 4th century had. This is why you start seeing vast differences in the quote-unquote early, the writings of the early church fathers uh, from the days of Tertullian and Justin Martyr and Irenaeus to 4th mm -hmm. century origin, yeah. right? Vast yeah. differences. Exactly. And it's it's kind of like comparable today where we have, you know, missing information in some circles um, regarding, you know, missing texts like Enoch, Jubilees, things that really fill in gaps, right? So we can empathize in a way with those councils who were working with limited textual information. Um, but I would never advocate for, um, you know, burning certain individuals' letters, um, like Arius, for instance, right? That's, that's right. kind of what came out of that council is like, Arius, we're done. No more talking. Get out of here, you and your people. All your letters burned anyone that's found with any of his letters and they didn't bring them forward to us you you're under the penalty of death like that's to me that's that's a little crazy um yeah <laughs> all right we'll keep going well played god well played today we'll be talking about one of the most mysterious teachings of the catholic faith the trinity when i say god What's the first image that pops into your head? An old guy with a beard. Special skill laying down the law on a mountaintop. Well, God certainly showed himself to the Jewish people as lawgiver. But Catholics believe there's more to God than that. The Trinity is a way of describing who God is. Catholics believe that God is three tri-persons in one. Unity. Tri-unity. Trinity. Well, Catholics believe that God officially has no gender and encompasses both masculinity and femininity, we call the persons of the... Did you guys catch that? Catholics teach that God officially has no gender and is both masculine and feminine. That, yeah, that's, that's, that's relatively new. Does, it, does scripture teach that, Ken? Scripture does not teach that, but that nuanced <laughs> version of what you just said, i that's somewhat new to me, hearing yeah. that from a Catholic's mouth. Yeah, yeah. The, Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because those are the terms Jesus used. He referred to the God of the Jewish people as his Father, and even went a step further by saying, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And referring to himself as the Son, not just a Son. And he gave the Holy Spirit to his disciples by breathing on them, describing him as a helper. Whoa, whoa, whoa. One God I get. Multiple gods I get. Trinity from the Matrix I get. But are you trying to say Catholics worship a god with multiple personality disorder? <laughs> no. The Trinity is not one person with some sort of disorder, but three persons, eternally and timelessly joined in a loving communion. A scripture tells us God is love, and whoever remains in love remains in God, and God in him. As the great Christian evangelist C.S. Lewis once pointed out in his book, Mere Christianity, if God is love, then he can't be a single individual alone. For God to be love, he must bear within himself a community of persons. 
there must be at least. So this is this is what's called begging the question, right? Yeah. So this is this is where they say, so if God is love, then He must have always had someone to love. If God's nature is eternal, and He's always been loving. Well, that means there has to be a recipient of love, and therefore there has to been someone there to be that recipient. And so they're leading up to, like I said before, it all hinges around the eternal Son. That is all they care about, right? Mm -hmm. It's so interesting. It's so interesting. Because what they actually do when they make the Son equal to the Father and eternal like the Father is you actually overshadow the Father. So what they've done is they they make you forget the, about the Father truly and then also forget about why the Son was actually sent, which is to be the high priest who ministers to the Father. So the entire purpose for the Messiah being sent, the process by which he atones for you and then resurrects you, all that gets swept away. And that's very convenient when you're a church organization that later says, if you'd like to be forgiven, you just pay us more, more offering this month. Right? We'll just, <laughs> yeah. we'll just call it an indulgence. indulgence. Maybe you want to, yeah, you, you think you're going to be sitting here next week. All right. Give us an extra 20 in the plate today. So like, yeah. yeah and you want to get your family out of purgatory and eh, maybe slip the priest to 20, right. And some meat. So like, it, this is where it just gets absolutely abusive and corruptive. And because you're actually ignoring and redefining not just the word God, but the roles of the Father and the Son itself. So this is a huge issue with the Trinity idea as a whole. At least a lover and a beloved and the love between them. Even though Jesus had an earthly life where he was born and died, Catholics believe that he was part of the Trinity before time even existed. So the Father loves the Son eternally without beginning or end. And the Son, the beloved, loves the Father back with complete generosity. And the love with which they love each other is its own person the Holy Spirit. And don't worry if you don't fully get it. It's taken <laughs> centuries to figure out how to even speak about the Trinity. First, God revealed himself Pause to it, Sean. people. But it took a It's only taken centuries. But it, it's yeah. it's contingent on it's a salvation issue. So if you haven't if you're one of those people throughout those centuries who didn't understand it. Oof. Too bad Sorry. for you. Yeah. Too bad for you. And you know that thief on the cross that Yeshua told him to be in paradise? I guess he didn't he didn't announce that he believed Yeshua was the eternal son. So, you know, he didn't confess the Nicene Creed. Um, so you know, who knows if if Jesus was correct in him actually getting into paradise or not. Like it's just it's just nonsense. Like ultimately, obviously right. we're trying to do our best to to be logical and show you a, a proper breakdown here, but this is what we call man-made tradition. These are traditions of men. They're not scriptural. This is why they, they don't always make sense. Um, so thanks for it's bearing just, with us. It's just funny that it's historically been so confusing. You know, what right. I mean? of course it would be because yeah. it is. <laughs> That's right. Yep. It's like uh, triple masks. Yeah. a while before they were ready to go from our God is an awesome God among the gods of the nations to God revealing that he is the one God. I am who am, being itself, goodness itself. And it took God himself coming to earth as a human being for the church to get a sense of the deeper mystery at the heart of God. God is one community. Not just one person. So since they're not defining God either, and I heard him just say God himself came to earth. Yeah, I would That's be like thinking- modalism. Right. Almost. That would be yeah. thinking modalism, right? Yeah. So, but if you actually talk to a classic Trinitarian and you said, oh, so then you said God came to earth. So then you mean that, you know, modalism, they would be absolutely offended by it. They'd be like, oh, heck no, no, no. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a modalist. I'm not a Sabalianist. I'm a classic Trinitarian, but yet they don't define their language. So this is what confuses everyone. Yeah. Right. Not a lonely divinity wielding incredible cosmic power and in isolation but 
persons in relationship. Oh, that's still not clear. That's why Catholics have come up with tons of metaphors over the centuries. The early church fathers used the image of a cosmic divine dance. St. Patrick used a shamrock. Others have used the images of water, ice, and steam, or parts of an egg, or even the idea of God as author inserting himself as a character in a story he's writing. In Pay very close attention, everyone in the audience, because we're going to hear this more and more, even with when we get back to Mike Winger addressing the seven questions. It's not from scripture. It's from outside examples and metaphors. Yeah. This, this is very clear because what scripture tells you, there's a father who's the almighty. He sent his son who's beneath him in subjugation and authority to do a job as a high priest and that he will never ever secede or supersede the father's authority. He always worships the father just as he teaches us to worship the father. There's a strict and very clear hierarchy. These are all somewhat helpful, but inadequate. All of them fail to fully explain how the Trinity are three in one, which Catholics believe will always be a mystery. And there's a lesson to be learned from the mystery itself. So there's not even an answer. God yeah. is beyond all human comprehension, more vast than what we can know. Any name or image is only an attempt to explain or understand him. But even though it's hard to wrap your mind around, the Trinity is actually the heart of the Catholic faith. Catholics start out their lives as Catholics by being baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Not names. According to Jesus' specific instructions. Then throughout life, Catholics... So, Ken, is that... Yeah, so this is another word that gets tossed around without actually fully understanding that, yes, it can be used as a physical moniker like Sean Ken. It can also... Word name. Yeah. yeah, and it can also mean the authority right an authority structure type thing so in the authority of the father and the son right this is a common thing throughout ancient history is that you know a king would send somebody an emissary over to an, a distant nation and he would send that emissary in his name now is That's he right. that actual king literally physically embodied in front of this nation that he's approaching no he's coming in his authority because the king sent him in his authority so that's exactly what we're seeing all over scripture with how Yahweh sends his angels, he sends his prophets, he sends his son, right? And so this is, it's easy to understand when you have that concept in your mind that all mm -hmm. you don't have to like, you know, come up with these weird things of, well, it should be names, but no, it's name. Therefore, it's one entity, right? And so it's like, look at the context around it and what that can mean, right? Yeah, because even all the way back to Deuteronomy, you know, remember, um, Remember what uh, I'm going to share this real quick for us. Do you remember what he says? Yahweh says in Deuteronomy uh, verse 17, the Lord said to me, they have spoken well. I'll yeah. raise up for them or profit among them like their brothers. I'll put my words in his mouth. He'll tell them everything I command him. I'll hold accountable. Anyone who does not listen to my words, but the prophet speaks in my name. So this is, that means his authority, right? Yeah. But if any prophet dares to speak in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or to speak in the name of other gods, that's the authority of Zeus or, Herb or Hermes or somebody else or Ra or Osiris, then I have not commanded him to speak or to speak in the name of other gods, that prophet must be put to death, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a very common, common thing. Like you said, it's just, it, it's literally all throughout scripture, this concept of him having a name. So the, the lady in this video, she was like, you get it's the it's the foundation of the Catholic faith. You get baptized in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in the name, not the names plural, not three yeah. names, but in the one name. So, like again, just like they're not defining the word God, they're not defining the word name. 
so they can lump it into this idea that all three are the same name. So therefore, there all must be three persons in one God. Yeah. And I mean, like, so we know that the father's name can be Yahweh, right? The Son's name That's can right. be Jesus, Yeshua. What's the Holy Spirit's name? Holy Spirit? Um, <laughs> according, to, according to this video, they, apparently the Holy Spirit's name is love, according to this video. Because okay. yeah. remember, it's... Yeah, they... they they called it love, right? So that's right. It's weird. Trinity during every sacrament and each time they make the sign of the cross. Okay, but sorry, why does it matter how many persons there are? One of the benefits is that it gives us multiple points of access to come to know and love God. For example, even if it's hard for you to relate to God as father, you can build a relationship with the same divine essence through Jesus. And ultimately, the Trinity teaches us something concrete about what love is and how we can love better in our everyday lives. Loving like the Trinity isn't natural for us. It's actually supernatural. <laughs> really? The Trinity gives you an idea of how to love? I thought I thought in Romans 15 or Romans 14, wasn't it Paul who's like that uh, the, the, love is the, the fulfillment of the law? That's what he says. Yeah. Right. So wouldn't that wouldn't that mean that the law then is our actual blueprint on how to love? Mm -hmm. If you love Which me, is, keep my commandments. Yeah. Right. yeah. So I I don't need this Trinity doctrine to, to teach me how to love. I, I have the words of my Messiah repeated throughout all the prophets, repeated from Yahweh to the prophets, repeated by the apostles. I, I don't think I need this doctrine to teach me how to love. Natural. We can't do it without God's grace. But we can get all of God's grace and God himself through the sacraments. Once we're drawing on that divine life and love, we can offer that love back to God and to our neighbor. That means living the responsibilities and bearing the burdens of our daily lives with radical love. We can also... So real quick, Ken, this video is almost done, and I just want to let everyone know in the, in the chat that may, someone, some people may be picking up here. They're going, wait a minute. This is a little three-minute video by, like, clearly people that are professing Catholics. Mike Winger's not a Catholic. So are you guys misrepresenting Mike Winger's belief? No. He literally believes the exact same thing as this. He doesn't call himself a Catholic, but this is what so many Christians do not understand. All the Protestants is Protestantism is only Catholic light guys. Mm -hmm. They literally just, they wanted their own leadership. And so they rebelled, but they kept 99.9% .9 of all the doctrine. It's the same stuff. They just thought we want to break free from the control, the financial and locational control of the Catholic church and the hierarchy of the bishops. And we want to create our own individualized style churches. And so like it, but they still teach the same stuff, guys, the same stuff. So this is why Mike Winger being a Protestant, it would it actually comes from, I think a Baptist background, but still they, they all believe in the Trinity as well too. So, and they teach it in their seminaries profusely. Yeah. Strive to go above and beyond for our friends, our family. Be loving and kind even when we don't feel like it. Thanks for watching Catholic Central. I'm Kai. And I'm Libby. Check out our website at catholiccentral.com. All right. So, Sean, before we move on, there was one thing that they mentioned uh, earlier in that little video snippet about, you know, quoting that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? Therefore, they won't say that the Son is the Father, but He's God and the father God. So it's technically kind of the same, right? And they're not modalists. So and a lot of people struggle with this one. And in my understanding and research, I've come to understand that what Yeshua is referring to there, when he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He's talking about the father's character, mm -hmm. the father's will, the father's um, agenda, if you want to say that. 
because we can't see the father right now. And that's kind of the, one of the really cool aspects of the covenant. The promises of the covenant is resurrection and one day dwelling in our father's house and a body where we can actually see him. But for now we can't because we will die. If he, you know, showed up, we just, we would never, that encounter is just not good for us. So the father and, and Paul says in Colossians um, that Yeshua is the image of the invisible God, right? Um, when we pull up the Greek for the word image there, or even invisible, um, it can also mean unseen. In a lot of ways, it is unseen. And those are kind of, it's a nuance, but... but yeah, so that is what invisible means, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so when, when I tell people about Yahweh, why can't we see... Like, he's... right Technically, right now, he is unseen. We, we, we can't... He's in this glorious, immortal light that we can't approach. And that's where I understand where Yeshua was before he was sent to earth on his mission to become a man. Um, so when we're seeing Yeshua talk about, if you see me, you see the Father, I and the Father are one. They're not one as in, like, the same exact being, clearly. Right. They're one in will, emotion, character... Uh, agenda um all of that stuff so that, that's what he's saying you can't see the father yet but i'm showing you what he's like not right. that i'm like right. a, a flesh suit for what he is i'm i'm i was around my father so i know what he's like therefore i'm showing you what he's like because one day you will get to see what he's truly like in a body just like i had when i resurrected but for now mm -hmm. you get to see this, this type of representation right so i just want to make people understand that hopefully that wasn't too you know, wonky of a, an explanation, but that, that's how I understand what Yeshua is saying there. Yeah, and you're right. And if we dig, like you said, in the Hebrew, or excuse me, in the Greek for verse eight, where Philip is asking, Lord, show us the Father. Well, let's go ahead and let's just take a quick look at the Hebrew word for show. When Philip says, show us, what does that word show mean? It's this word dikson, which is to point out, to demonstrate or exhibit. So what do you... Mm -hmm. Nice. How do you exhibit? How do you demonstrate the Father? Well, that's you do that by Jesus showing, said, "Look, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I've demonstrated the Father's behavior." So this is this is this whole concept, and it's to to bring out, to show, to demonstrate. It's not simply just to say like they they want him to make him appear, but it's yeah. like um it's like they're they're looking for more than that. It was uh, they wanted to see like what's the Father, um what's his character like too, and Yeshua was like, "I've demonstrated him for you." Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Not not that I'm a, an exact replica or a clone of him. It's not yeah. modalism. And Trinitarians don't believe that either. But it's not saying that I have, because you've seen me, I have equal authority to the Father. That's not the conclusion either. That would be a false yeah. conclusion. Yeah. It's, he's simply saying, like, I've already demonstrated the Father's behavior to you. He's like, and what, what I think gets skipped over so much is like he, Jesus walks around constantly demonstrating the behavior of the what it's going to be like in the kingdom of God after the resurrection too. Exactly, and that that goes way out the window. That whole message goes way out the window with the Trinitarian stuff because they it's so hyper focused on making sure you you repeat after them with these certain words that they don't even remember the big messages that Yeshua taught about. Hey, look, the Father and the Son are coming down with their kingdom. They want you to practice this behavior so you can because you're going to get that behavior on your heart and your new body at the resurrection to live in their house and their kingdom with them. Yeah. This is why we practice it now. So, of course, when Yeshua says, you know, the father's house will have the father's behavior in his kingdom. Right. So, of course, Jesus Amen. is like, look, I've been demonstrating 
the father's behavior to you this whole time. Like you've seen what the father's like. So yeah, it's, okay. Amen. it's, it's beautiful, man. Sean, there was one detail. Sorry, I forgot. Uh, it's okay. The reason why I brought up the differences between unseen and invisible. When, when, when you use the word invisible, what do you think? Literally gone, right? Like a ghost, like it's air. He's so that what Paul's saying in Colossians, he's the image of the invisible God. Does that mean God mm -hmm. literally can't be seen with our eyes? Like he's just nothing. You know what I mean? Where the word right. unseen me implies that he's, based off the context especially in you know he's tucked away like he can't come to us so he's right. unseen in that in that way because we know that in isaiah and daniel revelation i mean there's there's scriptures that show that yahweh has he wears a robe he has hair he has he has he's not invisible in that sense so that's, that's we were, we were made in, we were made in his image that means he has an image that he actually <laughs> right. he has a body he's not just invisible you know yeah or like my high school chemistry teacher tried to tell us that God's just electricity. Just I'm like, he's not Dr. Manhattan guys. Like he, he's literally he has a body. He made us to look like his body. That's why we have the anatomical structure as we do. And that's why we have the emotional, spiritual and uh, physiological structure that like he does. So he made us after him. Um, we just are made of a lesser quality of dirt, whereas he's made of higher quality of water and spirit. So this is why he's called the Lord of the spirits in scriptures and why he's considered the almighty father of the spirits of spiritual beings of all the angels, the son, he's the almighty. So mm -hmm. do you think that the, uh, the councils talked about this at all, Sean, the actual no. substance of the spirit, the water, the dirt comparing between no. man and angel, like none of that. It was just these terms, right? The essence, the nature, like, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. They don't, they didn't talk about it much. Oh, wait, you know what? I'm, I'm jumping ahead. We didn't watch this short other little animation about the Trinity for people that, right. that yeah. don't want a funny comedic one, but they want like they want uh, more of a, a drawing, if you will. This is a short one. In the Trinity, there is said to be three distinct persons, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, and each of the persons is fully God. Now stopping there, it would appear that Christians actually worship three gods. However, nowhere in the Bible or Christian tradition does the Trinitarian concept become... And this is what's so disingenuous to me, Ken, is they say it's not tritheism, it's absolutely monotheism, but just believe us when we tell you we've, we're, we're not going to define the word God like everyone else on the earth defines the word God. Yeah. Instead, we're going to say the Father, Son, Holy Spirit are three persons inside one godhead one family one one name one authority structure and so it guys the entire ancient world and the modern world outside of christendom absolutely knows what that describes that has always and will always describe three gods like yeah. there is no other definition for that they can't redefine this to suit their liking it that it's they're describing polytheism they're absolutely describing polytheism and they just keep saying no we're not no we're not no we're not you gotta believe us or you're out i'm a tritheism meaning three gods god is always declared as one which turns this doctrine into quite a mind bender the father the son and the holy spirit are said to share one nature but the father is not the same person as the son who is not the same person as the holy spirit who is not the same person as the father they are three distinct persons in one substance, essence, or nature.
Chronicles of Narnia author C.S. Lewis suggests that humans shouldn't be able to fully grasp a being that is beyond our three-dimensional world and uses this following example. If you are using only one dimension, you can draw only a straight line. If you are using two, you could draw a figure, say a square, and a square is made up of four straight lines. Now a step further, if you have three dimensions, you can then build what we call a solid body, say a cube, a thing like a dice or a lump of sugar, and a cube is made up of six squares. He's making the point that a world of one dimension would be a straight line. In a two-dimensional world, you still get straight lines, but many lines make one figure. And in a three-dimensional world, you still get figures, but many figures make one solid body. In other words, as you advance to more real and more complicated levels, you do not leave behind you the things you found on the simpler levels, you still have them, but combined in new ways, in ways you could not imagine if you knew only the simpler levels. Now the Christian account of God involves just the same principle. The human level is a simple and rather empty level. On the human level, one person... Look, but look we have confused. to know this though. So you have to know this, right? Like the human level, we, we're dumb. We don't like, but right. we, have, we have to know it though. That's, that's the sad thing about the sadistic thing is that God made it so complex and hard to understand that if you don't understand it, you're not getting saved, but you can't understand it because we're, we're human. We're dumb. So. so, so what does that force the average believer to, to do then? If they think they're going to be ousted from a Christian community because they're not repeating the mantra of something that doesn't make sense to them and they can't find it in scripture, but yet they're forced with their verbal words to say they believe in it and, and adhere to it. What is that called, Ken? That that's called brainwashing. Oh yeah, okay. I, that's I thought, that's yeah. that's at its most core. That's the same thing you see with totalitarian states. That's the they cult. No, that that is that is absolutely the definition of cult behavior. Is okay. if you don't repeat after us, whether you like it or not, you don't get the benefits of our group, and if you challenge the authority, you're out. You're done. And so it's, it's, uh, it's cultish, man. It's not good. Is one being, and any two persons are two separate beings. Just as in two dimensions, one square is one figure, and any two squares are two separate figures. On the divine level, you still find personalities, but up there you find them combined in new ways which we, who do not live on that level, cannot imagine. In God's dimension, so to speak, you find a being who is three persons while remaining one being, just as a cube is six squares while remaining one cube. Of course, Lewis admits we cannot fully conceive a being like that, just as if we were so made that we perceived only two dimensions in space, we could never properly imagine a cube. But we can get a sort of faint notion of it, and when we do, we are then, for the first time in our lives, getting some positive idea, hmm. however faint, of something super personal, something more than a person. It is something we could never have guessed, and yet once we have been told, one almost feels one ought to have been able to guess it, because it fits in so well with all the things we know already. The doctrine of the Trinity is the most difficult idea in Christianity, and yet one of the most fundamental. It instructs Christians on who God is, how he is to be worshipped, and how God interacts with you. Now, this is another, um, this is just a lie, right? It is not the most fundamental idea. This is what Trinitarians make it. They make it the most fundamental idea, but that's not what the Bible says. It's not. It's, it, it just, 
in order like they're they set it up from the beginning this is what you mentioned earlier which is what we've talked about on other broadcasts is that this is why so many people who believe in the trinity they get so emotionally connected to it because this is how they got saved mm -hmm. this is how they came to the faith this is how they were introduced to jesus was that he's a part of the godhead and you must believe that he's equal co-equal with the father he's eternal if you don't believe that you're not in with us in our club and you don't have real faith and therefore we'll ostracize you and we'll call you anathema. We say that you're going to die in the lake of fire. So like that type of, that's theological intimidation. That's not scriptural. That's part and parcel with all the bad behavior we see from the Catholic church throughout history. That is, that is what cults do. And this is how so many people actually came into trying to be a better person and walk in repentance and love Jesus. And this was their gateway theology into that idea and so when you start ad addressing this theology they have an emotional trigger and they get very upset with you <laughs> yeah they don't uh, like this i understand because i didn't i didn't really like it either if i'm going to be honest i mean um i'm not going to get into full detail but i was a trinitarian at one point in my life too and so, so was i so was i you know full admittance here and i struggled with it and it took a jehovah witness one of the one of the cult members at that mic labeled earlier um to get me to really try to test it and 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 to combat his arguments with mine and i really couldn't at the end of now the for, conversations i couldn't do it now for everyone watching that may not be aware of ken ken are you a jehovah's witness negative i don't subscribe to that organization i just i believe there's good people in it um have good hearts and and one of those good-hearted people was uh, a paramedic partner of mine who engaged in a conversation with me and i appreciated it didn't like it at the time because it was it was making me test my faith i thought i was oh my gosh if i don't believe this because of what sean said the the doctrinal intimidation of if you don't adhere to this you're out of the faith you're gone like you're just you might as well just wander the earth like cain in a sense right and so, yeah, I'm not a Jehovah Witness, but there are some things within that organization that I, I, you know, I can agree with. And this is one of their doctrines, not the fullness of it, because they have wonky other things where they believe that Michael is Yeshua in, in the Old Testament and other things like that. But again, yeah. I don't I shouldn't have to explain that. I don't agree with fully, but um, well, we, we, uh, you, but. we have a lot of people watching tonight. Some of them may have not, you know, seen us before. Yeah. Um, so I just want to make sure you got to represent yourself accurately. I also am not a Jehovah's Witness. I'm not a part of any of the other groups that were flashed on the screen by Mike at the beginning of this. Um, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and we just we want to know what the Word says. It's that simple. And we want to take seriously what the Word says. So if, if there's a definition for a word, we want to use that properly and contextually. And this is what very intelligent people like our brother Mike, or even like C.S. Lewis, who in that video, they say, C.S. Lewis concedes that this is really a very difficult concept to understand, and he doesn't yeah. quite understand it. Because even smart people can be duped because it's emotional, guys. This is what we're trying to say. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It's not about you comprehending the idea of some sort of three-in-one sharing the essence and being. It's not about that. Some people can comprehend it. That's To me, it's not that difficult. It's just not what the words say. Yeah. So it, it's that simple, guys. And it's not about your intelligence level. It's about your emotional pull. And if you were emotionally pulled into the faith because of this, because that was your introduction to the faith and someone that was trying to convert you or, or give you an altar call moment, they also followed up with, you must believe the Trinity. Well, then, of course, you're going to be like, this is this is what I think G uh, the Bible is about. You know, like this says, it's the fundamental and most difficult to understand. That is an absolute incorrect statement. 
Yeah, that's right. Humanity. A more thorough study on the Trinity is encouraged using the links in the description below. Okay. Allison Montana in the, in the chat is saying, I've been accused of being a Jehovah's Witness, and I have too many times. People just assume, right? Their minds go to that. Whereas back in the day, you would have been labeled an Aryan, right? It's just people like to box you in, which is the unfortunate yep. thing. Like, like, like Sean has to express, unfortunately, we need to, we need to tell people who are new to our channels and, and listening to us, you know, these disclaimers that we're not these, we're not part of this, we're not part of that. It's we're, I'm a hybrid. <laughs> you can pick and choose different things from different. Unfortunately, that's, that's Christianity for you is that all these denominations and sects and factions, they all contain truth to some extent and falsities. Truth, and truth just, from the Bible. Yeah. Not from their own traditions, but truth that they've read the Bible. Like we joke about, you know, broken clock is right twice a day, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. just, it's annoying when people want to ask you, what, what is your religion? What is your faith, your denomination? And it's just, I, I'm not going there. I don't have one for you. Sorry. Like I, the Bible, the scriptures, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> Try to keep it simple, man. It should be simple, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll get back to this real quick. All right. Seven questions. Here they are. I'm going to answer these seven questions now that we've unpacked the doctrine of the Trinity. And I want you to try to preempt me in your own head. Think, how would I answer these questions now that we've had this sort of lesson on the Trinity? Here we go. Lightning, lightning round. Seven questions. Why isn't the word Trinity found in the Bible? Bro, bro doesn't he have just that awesome youth pastor energy? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like he's he, great. I mean, I'm, he's great. Yeah. We, yeah, we love great. you, brother, if you're watching or whatever. But like... You know, we just disagree with you on this topic, and we're sad that you make it a salvation issue. First question: yeah. Why isn't it found in the Bible? This one's an easy. Like, well, um, uh, the the statement I would make to someone who asks this, and it won't work, but here's what I would say: I say the the word Trinity is not found in the Bible, but the concept Trinity, the concept of the Trinity, is taught in the Scriptures very much, and therefore the word comes from the concept. We learn the concept and we just kind of, we find a word that helps describe the concept to summarize it. What do you think, Question Dan? Two. That's not a good, in, in my opinion, that's not a good argument on the other person. Like if someone says the word Trinity is not in the Bible, that's not a good argument because there are concepts in the scripture that aren't technically late, like incarnate, for instance, right? In the incarnation or whatever, like that whole concept, we've given it a word for, for the action. And so right. we have that throughout the scriptures, agency, even, even the word, the word agent is in the, in the word, but there are terms describing concept in scripture. So if the, the term isn't in scripture, it doesn't make it inaccurate or invaluable for us to understand. So I, I agree with Mike on, on that. Me, Only me that too. one, I think moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus said the father was the only true God. That's in John 17, three. We can go to the passage. John 17, three, look at those again. Um, that God is the only true God. Now, this is, this is really, okay, we don't believe in tritheism. We don't think that the father is one God. Jesus is a different God. This, the spirit is a different God. No, we believe, yes, the father is the only true God. And so is Jesus. And so is the Holy Spirit. That's the God. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I know it's, it's hard not to laugh. Yeah. It, it, I'm sorry. I'm trying to, oh man. We believe that the it, father it, is the only true God. There should be a period at the end of that, but it's a just, dot, 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 but so is Jesus. You know, it just, it's brutal. 
just doesn't make it just does it's not how you talk it this is not english grammar yeah this it's, is where people would struggle you know what i mean it's it's that yeah. type of response where it's like you you have me okay the father is the only true god oh what like <laughs> it's, yeah yeah it's so even right now you know there's there's people in the chat saying why don't you just believe why don't you just admit you believe arianism <laughs> I don't care what you want to call it. I don't, I don't truly ascribe to everything Arian taught, but if you want to label me something beyond a Trinitarian, I don't, I don't care. It doesn't really matter what, because you know, when it, when someone that um, holds such a divisive doctrine that they're willing to stand in the place of Jesus and judge people's souls, mm -hmm. their, their theological opinions don't hold any weight with me anyway, because I know that person's unstable, distorted in the scriptures, unsound, so I, I don't really like, you know, I don't, I'm not impressed or intimidated by them personally, because I, you know, especially when they're defending statements like we just heard, he's not three gods, but Jesus is God, Father is God, Holy Spirit's God. So take yeah. that. And you're like, wait a minute, what? I personally don't have God. There's only one. Oh, Say that. Go oh, I was just going to say, I personally don't have any qualms saying that I, I, Arius to me is a brother. I, so was, like, yeah, so were all the other dudes that were Trinitarians. Yeah, and, and learning about his encounters at, at the councils and even just his history before that. And unfortunately, we don't have any of his writings because they were burnt, literally. We have little fragments of like, like from Origen and other people quoting some of the things that they claim that he believed, right? So we don't have him even backing up those claims or, or you know, supporting any of that. But... What's interesting is even at the council where this was taking place, it was basically him versus everybody else, right? Him and a couple other mm -hmm. guys who adhere to him, what he believed, saw what he was seeing against everybody else. And the other people, they were the combative ones. This mm -hmm. argument went on for months at the council, just talking about mm -hmm. this for months. And in one of the, um, the documents that I read about, uh, some of the just the, the environment and the, the happenings going on there was it got so heated on the other side of the argument those trinitarians the, the trinitarians they, got so heated yeah. they got so heated that they were striking him in the face yep they were they were beating on the guy and this is this is the vitriol this is the spirit that mm -hmm. comes out in this doctrine you know yes, and, and arius was just he was a cool cat and, he, and he's the one who got deposed. He's the one, like I said, like it's just to me, it, it just shows you like the spirit behind this is evident to me. <laughs> so there's someone in the chat saying that um, he would argue that most church going folks don't actually believe the Trinity, but they're afraid to admit it because of the persecution. And that's, that's his story from talking to a few people. That's, yeah. you know, maybe we need to make a, like a private anonymous Facebook group for people that are, in that, in that position, yeah. yeah, in that they're afraid to admit it because they don't want to be ostracized from their church, but they realize it, it's not in scripture at all. So this is what I talk about with theological intimidation. This is why, um, you know, I it just it took me quite some time before I decided we've got to address this on a large scale. So it was very fitting that someone like Mike made a video doing his best to describe it that was received on a large scale. And I thought, all right, well, we've got to, we've got to like, because it's not getting better. It's just getting worse. People that I, every year, at least once a month, someone claims I'm anathema because I, I'm not agreeing with their out of context, poorly worded, non-scriptural doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah. So like, it's just, 
it's absolute cult mentality that takes over churches. Like you literally see it on the front of signs on churches when you drive down your streets and your towns, you know, um, it's, it's entire seminaries, Trinity college seminary in, in England. And like, it's, it's a, it's a serious situation. Um, and so I'm thinking like, how do we arm people so they can have loving and calm conversations with people to try to wake them up from this programming to think that, okay, well, this is not what the scriptures teach. This takes away from the importance of the father being the almighty and the son being sent to do a specific job as high priest of Israel. And if you don't understand that, then do you really even know why your Messiah was sent for you? Mm-hmm. And yeah. it sounds like a crazy question, but Ken, as long as we've been doing this, it's almost five years now. Like our channel just turned five years this, this month. Right. And you're, you're almost there awesome. too. Right. So like yeah. you got a few more months and yours is five years old. How many people have you realized in doing this that they actually don't know why their Messiah was sent for them? Many. Yeah. They yeah. can't articulate it. Um, nice. succinctly at least. Um, it's sad. It's really sad. Uh, yeah. But you know, th- those, those blinders can come off the more that you're willing. If you're someone who's in a church, who's scared, to to be like hey i'm someone who questions the trinity i want to challenge you to do that man up do it um there's nothing wrong with you know we're we're told to have a a ready answer for the faith that we contain right and so if you don't have a good answer for something like this if your answer is it's a mystery a really intelligent intellectual who's looking at maybe stepping into the faith if they hear that Right. that's going to get them turning around and being an atheist, a right. whatever, whatever religion of the day type thing. So yeah, we need to work on our apologetics, apologetics better. And um, Sean, I actually went to a, a um, an online biblical college. Um, mm-hmm. When was this in 20, 2014, 2015? I wanted to take some, it was called a Hebraic, heritage roots or something like that was the, the program it was going to be a, a three-year program i literally got the packet and signed up but never mailed it off well you, then i guess you saved some money because and i'm not going to name anything <laughs> but i'm just saying it's uh unfortunately one of the courses in it was where you literally had to write essays about the validity of the trinity um and it was around that time that i was seriously questioning it and in my papers I would send them off to my prof and he would get back to me saying, Ken, you're questioning this. This isn't what we're looking for here. Like you, this is a foundational tenet of the faith. Like this is a bedrock tenet of the faith. And so then I had to like have a phone conversation with him and, and uh, emails back and forth. And eventually it got to the point where that, that aggravated me. I was like, wait a minute. Like you literally just want me to parrot things. You don't want me to mm-hmm. use my mind. Um, and express things the way that I understand them. Um, and so they, they gave me the boot. They said, you're, you're gone. You're out of like, there was no second chance. There was no like, Hey, you, you know, we'll give you a different core, nothing. Like we'll give you a refund, anything like that. It was just, you're gone. You don't believe this. You're gone. So it's crazy. <laughs> and this is a Hebrew roots type of ministry, uh, a college. Right. So, which is even more frustrating. Yeah. In the same way, when I first started my channel, there was a, at the time they were Hebrew roots as far as, you know, talking about the tour and exploring things like that. They've since moved away from that, but it was the, the now you see TV channel. And that's why they disassociated with me because they realized I didn't believe in classical Trinitarianism. And, um, and they told me that you got to, you're, you've got to, to be, and I'm like, can you show it to me in scripture? And they refused to show me the scriptures and they just called me a heretic. 
So I was like, huh? Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, it's sad, but this is the, this is, this is why we, this has to be addressed basically. Yeah. So recall John 1, 1, right? We're in the same book, John 17, 3, where Jesus says that, um, that the Father is the only true God. Yet John 1, 1 tells us that the word was God. He's with God and he's also God. That's the full teaching of scripture. John 8, 58, where Jesus says, I am, that before Abraham was, I am. So what does it say? It says in the beginning. So before Abraham was, Jesus was. Is that right? Before Je Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Off the top of your yeah. head, Ken, do you know the context of John chapter eight? In that uh, conversation generally. we had, yeah, yeah, generally, yeah. Where do you remember at the at uh, where he was he was telling them that we'll, we'll pull it up on screen, right? I have a I have a, <laughs> a way to do that, so let's pull it up on screen real quick. <laughs> All right, so look at this woman caught in adultery at the top, but verse verse twelve he goes into Yeshua explaining himself that he's the light of the world that he testifies about himself, that his testimony is valid because he is also approved by the father. The father testifies about him also. They asked, where's your father? And he says, you don't know me or my father. If you knew me, you would also know my father. Okay. So he's explained to them that he's sent by the father. He's validated by the father. This was also approved in Matthew three at his baptism with the angel's voice from heaven. This is my son whom I'm loved. But, you know I'm saying? Like the whole pro and that was in the sight of many people. Yeah. So he's been invalidated. He's been supernaturally validated by the father that he is the son sent by the father and to be the Messiah. Like this is there. So they're continuing to ask him, who is he? Right. He continued to tell them. And then he's going to even mention they're going to kill him. When you've lifted up the son of man, you'll know that I don't know. speak exactly what the father's taught me. Um, it, he who sent me is me is with me. He's not left me alone because I always do what pleases him. Um, he says that all the chapter before in John 17, 16, John 7, 16 as well. So he goes on to say, these people say that um, the Pharisees then start talking about this idea of, you know, uh, their descendants of Abraham. And therefore, mm -hmm. you know, they've never been slaves. They've always been free. And Yeshua is like, wait a minute. You know, I know you're Abraham's descendants, but trying to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak of what I've seen in the presence of my father. You do know and you do what you've heard from your father. And they said, Abraham's our father. And he's like, if you were children of Abraham, you would do the works of Abraham because they're trying to kill him. That's not the works of Abraham. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So this he is the, the father. Yeah. yeah, that's right. The context of all this is that he's emphatically trying to express to the Pharisees. I was sent by the father. that I am the son of God. And he goes on to say, because you're, antagonist against me you've actually made your father the devil instead of god and he's like if god were your father you would love me for i've come here from him from god he says i've not come on my own so this is the the entire um this is the entire context and they continue the conversation and then he goes i do not have a demon i honor my father there's you know what i'm saying so yeah. they goes on to say um they say how he talks about abraham saw his day and rejoiced he saw it and was glad. And they say, the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? How have you seen Abraham? He says, truly, truly, I tell you, Jesus declared before Abraham was born, I am. And this is where people, they, you know, Trinitarian apologists, they love to say, look in the Greek, it's ergo ami. And they, they go into the Greek yeah. and they're like, this must be the same thing that was said at the, in Exodus chapter three at the burning bush. And that, and that was God declaring he was God. And right there, Ken, is two conflations. They're mm -hmm. conflating both the context of John 8 where Yeshua is emphatically trying to tell the Pharisees, I'm the Messiah sent by the Father. And he's and 
I testify about the father and the reason why you're trying to kill me is because you do not know the father's heart. You do not know the father. You're doing the works of the devil. So then when he says to them before Abraham was born, I am. And they yeah. think that means he must be declaring to be God. But at the same time, we, he already tells us that he, they, they didn't the world think began. that though. Right. Exactly. They didn't like the idea that he would yeah. claim to be of a spiritual nature yeah. Like John 1, 1 talks about in the beginning was the word and the word was Elohim and the word was with God. Right. And yeah. so, right. So they don't like that idea that he existed before he was born of Mary as a spiritual being in heaven with the father and the angels. They don't like that at all. They thought that was blasphemy for anyone to claim that. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, when he claimed I was already existing before Abraham was born. Right. This is why he keeps saying I was sent here by the father. That means he was sent from yeah, somewhere. He came above. from somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He says in John chapter six, I come down from heaven. So they didn't like that. They thought that was blasphemy. And nowhere is in, and okay, so that's one conflation. They're conflating John eight's context mm -hmm. as well as everything else she says in the book of John. And then they conflate it with Exodus chapter three to say that, oh, see, because the burning bush moment, he says something similar. The angel says something similar to Moses. That was God. And they, they also think God manifested and showed himself to Moses and not realizing the text literally tells you it was an angel yep. that was speaking to Moses. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, right. I, and I well said, and also any, everywhere in, in the new Testament, it talks about, and basically the argument is where we see Yeshua saying the, I am because he Mike points it out at several, like three or four different times where Yeshua says, I am, he links it back to that Exodus three, like parallel. And I'm like, well, okay, if, is that, if that's how we're going to use the Greek, then were some of the disciples who said I am in Greek also the I am in Exodus 3? You know what I mean? Like that's not consistent logic in my opinion. It's not. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not. Again, just like we're, we're, we're only on part two where the, the, other go, the other five go pretty fast. And then there's a, there's a bonus. There's a challenge question. But ultimately, guys, this is they do this with every single stance like, because – it's not scripturally sound. So they have to conflate things, twist things. They have to like shade things or just not use the definition of the word God as we've already broken down earlier. So, and, and in fairness, Sean, before we move on, I just want to, I just want to uh, clarify one thing in John eight fifty eight here. I don't know which version you have, but I appreciate that they didn't capitalize the I am because some of them do right. capitalize yeah. it. And again, as yeah. I mentioned earlier, when you see that as a reader and you're coming in, you're like, oh, I am. Why is the am and the I, why are they capitalized? Well, the I would be anyways, but why is the am capitalized? That The translator wants you to link back to Exodus 3 because they believe that that's, that's the right. link when it's not. So I appreciate that they wouldn't do that here. But That's right. Good call was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Three simple statements, right? Three simple statements. He's, he, he was with God. He was the word, right? He just was existent. He was with God. That's relational. And the word was God. That's his, his identity of, of being God, the God, the only God, there's only one God. Um, now, if you look down to verse 14, just in case you didn't know this, the word is referring to Jesus, right? It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So this is definitely about this Jesus guy, this, this Jesus person who comes, he is the word who became flesh. He was preexistent before he was in a body. He became flesh. And that refers to him as being the word, the logos before he was in the flesh. So um, let's look at it again. And we'll look at the meaning of this. It's so profound. 
in the beginning was the word. This first clause of verse one, there's three clauses. The first clause. So we're just going to take a minute to put some Trinitarians in the chat on blast. Because guess what? This is my channel. So what we see so often, and we've talked about this, not just throughout history tonight, Ken, but we've also talked about this in our personal lives and experiences. Mm -hmm. The vitriol, the zeal, the hatred, the mockery, the misinterpretation, the slander, the condemnation, every single time comes from Trinitarians. It doesn't come from people who dis disagree with Trinity. It's always coming from Trinitarians. So we're seeing that in the live chat right now as we, as we do this show. Guys, repent. That's all it boils down to. Stop. Yeah. Like Yeshua was loving. He teaches us to try to be loving. If this is all you got, repent. You've got it. You, you know, you're running around channel after channel, making fun of people who don't believe in the Trinity. Get a hobby, man. Like you got, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Like if you don't, if you're going to act in, in craziness and just run around slandering people and mocking people, your, your heavenly Messiah doesn't want that for you. I promise you. He wants you to yeah. be loving towards you. Yeah. Brotherly love, right. That we're encouraged. So I, I would highly encourage you to repent. Otherwise the moderators are going to have to start dealing with you because we don't want the chat to be, uh, turn into a WWE wrestling match, right? We don't want, you know what I'm saying? We don't want people getting distracted because they just see you constantly spitting vitriolic venom at people you disagree with. So mm -hmm. it's it's very like, you know, someone's saying right now, it's one-sided, it's plain as day. The heart of the Trinitarian is just a viper's nest, guys. And it's so obvious it's from, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, it's coming out in the live chat tonight. Repent, there seems guys. there seems to be a, like a couple curves and what i mean by that is like over the years i've noticed there's there's a, a learning curve with regards to knowing the scriptures right mm -hmm. it takes takes a long time you study you'll get there across the curve there's a maturity curve and i think there's yeah. a fruits of the spirit curve too and so some people are are behind you know what i mean others are way ahead um I want to be way ahead one day. It would be great to be way ahead, but I just, I just think, yeah, the, this Trinitarian thing definitely puts people back on the curve. Yeah. So when Arius is at the council, I see getting struck by Trinitarians because he doesn't believe with them and they can't convince him to believe to, to repeat after them. It just, it just reminds me of the analogy I've given so often in my life where I'm like, you know, I, I was in martial arts for most of my life and went to competitions, you know, and I remember, you know, you, you practice not only fighting before you get to the competition, but at, at the competition and you can get kicked and punched in the face all day long and it doesn't affect you. It doesn't change your game plan because you know what you know. And you're not yeah. intimidated by people just because they try to strike you. You know what I'm saying? So this is this is the sad reality of like so many believers in the body who do not have um, a strong love walk. They just have zeal without knowledge. And so they run around hurting other believers in the faith. You know what I'm saying? Now. Yeah. We're not saying that Mike Winger's doing this, but at the same time, he he is teaching something that unstable, unscripturally learned believers hear what he's saying and saying he's willing to die on the hill of this Trinitarian doctrine. Yeah. And that it's a foundational point of salvation. And so you must believe it. So you, they don't understand the how to thing. take that. Yeah. 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 And, and to calling everyone a cult who disagrees with you. So therefore, they don't have the maturity to know how to go and handle that lovingly with others and talk to people. So then they feel emboldened to go and pull out their claws and fangs and start attacking fellow brothers in the faith. And it's just yeah. repent guys. You don't, have to do it. Repent. you don't have to do that. He yeah. is um, a statement of existence. He simply is in the beginning, harkens back to Genesis one, 
right? This is like John's creation account relating, and, it's, and it goes right alongside Genesis 1. It speaks of God creating all things in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Well, here it says, in the beginning was the word. Verses 2 and 3 go on to talk about creation. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So everything's made through him. So the word existed before creation. All created things are made through him. Therefore, he is uncreated. That's the first clause of John 1, verse 1. Is that a logical deduction there, brother? <laughs> no, I don't think it is, personally. Okay. Uh, I'm, in, I'm interested in his next clause, uh, just how he words it. I don't know if you recall earlier, he said that it was relational and the word yeah. was with God. He says that's relational. I would submit that's uh, like positional almost. It's it's that's locality, right. like he was next to him, <laughs> with him. Again, because at in the first 10 minutes of the show, we defined the word God according to the Hebrew and the Greek. We, we gave you the definition for the word God and it's many different uses. And here is a prime example of when they never define the word God, they just blend them all together and they can twist it and make it sound like anything they want. Yeah. So you're exactly right. Positionally, in the beginning was the word. Positionally, the word was with God. Position And and uh, ontologically, the word was Elohim. The word was of the spirit nature. The word was God. It was a ruler. This is, I personally believe, that he was ruler of heaven before he came down to the earth, still under the authority of the Father. So, but that's, you know, that's another conversation. But the point is, I agree with you, Ken, and I think that um, they here's for anyone keeping track throughout this and, and marking down on your ledger. Here's another massive moment where they continue to use the word God and they never define it. Mm -hmm. The second clause is that the word is with God. The words with God. This is if we just take this simply, we don't need any special training for this, right? The words with God. So this is a relational thing. The word is with God. Now he's called a he. He, he, he's obviously a person, we get this, and this person, the son, is in relationship with God. Here we would speak of the Father, or the Father and the Holy Spirit. Um, and so we have, ultimately, we have this beautiful love relationship happening within the Trinity. In fact, this is kind of a beautiful thing um, to think about this. Christian uh, teaching is that God is love. It's a really unique Christian view. Now, a lot of... So this is exactly what we heard with that Catholic short film that we watch when they mm -hmm. try to break down the Trinity and they were saying the Holy Spirit is love. And that's the connector of the father and the son. So this is, he's literally parroting Catholic teaching. People yeah. since then have liked the sound of that and they've tried to add it to their, their beliefs, but it came from Christianity that God is love. Um, but think about this before the creation, before things were made in the beginning, before anything was made, who was there for God to love? Like who's God to love? Isn't he lonely? I've even heard people say God made made everything. And that's kind of red herring, right? Wanted people to hang out. It's absolutely. It's an appeal to emotion. It's, a, it's yeah. tons of tons lots of different fallacies. fallacies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, lots of fallacies put together. It's begging the question instead of, yeah, out with people to spend time with. But no, the, the the text of Scripture tells us that God was never really alone, because within Himself no, there are three persons: Father, Son, and Holy no, it Spirit. Doesn't. So that God can be love even before any of us exist. So this is, in the this is one of those moments where uh, a pastor slips into pastor mode, slips, yeah. slips into pre preacher mode, right? Give that good anecdotal story. Give that, uh, give that feel good message to tie his, his interpretation of an idea into the hearts of people and to make him think it's legit. And was yeah. the word. Yeah. And the word was with God relationship. So there's, 
the personage, multiple persons in, in this. And then the third clause of John 1 is, John 1, 1 is, and the word was God. And this is, um, again, I'll, I'll do like a thing on the Watchtower one of these days, but the statement is just this, like the word was God. Now, how can the word be with God and be God at the same time? Well, the Trinity, that's how, right? You've got uh, the person. of the <laughs> This is what I told you before. <laughs> Remember when I told you before we did the show, I was like, he's get, there's a moment in here where he's, he's going to, instead of giving scripture, he's going to be like, it's just the Trinity. This is it's just because this is what we believe is the Trinity. Yeah. Again, I'm going to put this back on screen because I think it's kind of important. Um, <laughs> so guys, what's the definition of the word God? How was the word was God? So if we're, if we're talking that Yeshua, and so in verse 14 of John chapter one, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We know that's not the father. We know that's Yeshua. So if the word was God, then what does this mean? Does this mean that they're somehow sharing their essence as the Trinitarians describe it and have no scripture to back it? No, it's the definition of the word. It's a divine being. He was a divine being, just like the angels and the spirit of the, of, of the Lord of Spirits, Yahweh, the Father himself, who's a divine being. Yahweh was a divine being. This is why Philippians 2, 6 and 7 says he emptied himself and being now and then later was found in the likeness and appearance of man. Right. So he was a divine being. This is also what 1 Timothy 3, 16 talks about, that he's was manifested in the flesh. Right. So because he used to exist, as he tells us in John 6, I came down from heaven. He did exist as a divine being in heaven, and then now he comes down. So John 1 is giving you a short summary. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word was with Yahweh, and then the Word, Yeshua, was divine being also. He's trying to tell you, look, the same way that the rest of the book of John says to you over and over and over, Jesus says, I come down from heaven. Well, the average mortal flesh can cannot live in heaven. No. So that means you have to be a godlike nature. You have to be a status of a divine nature in order to live in heaven. So this is the part where Trinitarians just completely ignore the definition of the word God. I cannot stress it enough. Father, help me. I can't stress it enough. Well, they think that you're dim we're diminishing things too, right? Yeah. Like we're somehow um, lowering his rank. We're we're putting him on a, a level that's you know not esteemed, I guess. And this is not what we're doing. I mean, Yeshua being um, there from the beginning with the Father, whether you believe that was for all eternity, uh, you know, or that he had come forth from the Father as the firstborn of all creation or was begotten from the Father, uh, another argument, but he was there in a, in a way that, as Sean said, he could survive that environment. Right. And this is what this is what I like about the uh, the previous video that you had up, where the woman was narrating, and she the narration kind of switches over to, but up there where the divine is, I appreciate that she used the directional term there, up there, and then they went up. And that's nice because up there beyond our firmament and and the subsequent firmaments above those is a reality that we cannot live in. Um, that's right but yeshua had the type of body where he could does that make that's him right. god like the father the creator all one and the same no it just means that like the angels and i'm not saying this right. hear me i'm clear i want to be clear here i'm, I'm not saying he's an angel i'm not lowering right. him in rank or anything just to be clear like the angels he had the type of 
material that could survive right. that environment. That's all we're saying. Yeah, it's an ontological understanding of the types of bodies that spiritual beings have in heaven above. Right. So, and for people that don't like me using the seminary word, ontological just means the type of your nature and makeup. So, um, Ken and I, we have the ontology of being made of dirt, angels, father and son. Now, even the glorified resurrected son now has the ontology of being made of spirit. And Paul explains these two natures to us in 1 Corinthians 15 very, very clearly. There's first the, the earthy and the fleshy, or excuse me, the earthy and the spiritual, right? He yeah. he goes into like four or five sentences trying to help us understand, like there's a strong difference in the two different types of natures between people born in the earth and people that were created to live in heaven. So, yeah, yeah. Son, the person of the Father, the person of the Holy Spirit, and they're with each other, right? Yet there is one God. So the words with God and the word is God. He just has to repeat himself. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. The yeah, scripture forces yeah. us to believe the doctrine of the Trinity. It's not something we've come up with on our own. We've simply yes, said, we've bowed our, our, our minds to the Bible, said, this is who you say you are, God. We believe it. We you bowed your reasoning and logic to something, but I'm not going to say it's the Bible. Because, yeah. and I'm not saying it's an unclean spirit, or I'm not, I'm not slandering him. I'm just saying you've, you've bowed it to the man-made doctrine because you probably were brought into the faith under intimidation as well. So yeah. now, Sean, if you were reading what's on screen there, um, where it says, and the word was God, no, the, the, the text if that God is lowercase and right. you were just coming to this, this text without any prior knowledge of anything. That's right. And, and they do use the capital G let's say to differentiate between the father and son. Do you, would you come to a conclusion that, oh, they're, they're one in the same thing? No, no. Right. So this... Yeah. It's the translators. They decide to capitalize things because they're Trinitarians. Yeah. Yeah. Of scripture tells us. Was the Let me skip forward a little bit. Clause of how, right? You've got the Bible said, this is impact this one. Okay. Cause All right. Sorry. One second. I say, well, obviously. Jesus isn't God because he said, my father is greater than I. Well, that's in John 14, 28. My father is greater than I. And let's take a minute to unpack this one. Okay, because this is, this is a verse that always gets brought up in this debate. Um, uh, you've heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you'd rejoice because I said, I'm going to my father for my father is greater than I. The, the context is Jesus is in his earthly body and he's like, I'm going to the father. It's a good thing for me. The father is greater than I in some sense. The question is in what sense? Um, first off, I'll say it's person specific. What he doesn't say is God is. So there's a, I'm sorry to interrupt. I know we're trying to get through this and this video has about seven or eight minutes left. <clears throat> there's someone in the, in the live chat. And this is another huge topic that's brought up, Ken, that's always tied into the Trinity, is they say, well, if he's not the Trinity, if Jesus isn't God, and they, they don't define it, so they don't, they, it's weird. So they say, if Jesus isn't God, how did he die for our sins and atone for us on the cross? Because he had, God had to die for us, right? Yeah. That's the way they put it, that's because they have this yeah. Old Testament theology that they've been taught, which is also a tradition that the only way your sins get atoned for is if God comes and actually dies for you on a cross but your sins get atoned because yeshua was given the priesthood to minister in heaven's temple and this is what we talked about earlier we're like we know they didn't talk about this at the nicene council no like we they just completely glazed over this because and, and who knows if this argument goes all the way back to then 
to where they were maybe some Trinitarian at the Nicene Council was also saying, well, this is why God, Jesus had to die for us because he was God. And that's how he atones for our sins. Right. Haven't you read Paul's letters? Right. Yet they skip over the parts in Paul's letters where it says he became a priest to minister on their behalf. They skip over that concept because they're not familiar with the Torah and understanding what that concept means. So therefore they think, oh, well, so then God must had to have literally shed his blood for us as a human in order to atone for us, to appease this substitutionary concept. So this is a, I'm doing a, a conversation with it, you know, on my channel here in the future and with some people, but this is a huge, huge topic that it gets directly tied into the Trinity is the idea that you deserve to be tortured on a cross and God had to come take your place for that. But that is nowhere in the Old Testament. You do not you do not have to be tortured on a cross. Yeah. Yeshua was prophesied to come to a wicked generation that would torture him on a cross. But that's not because that specific punishment was what you should have gotten. Mm -hmm. So there's this weird type of penal substitutionary concept that's pushed into the Trinitarian doctrine. None of it's scripturally accurate to the Old Testament. None of it's scripturally accurate to the actual position, function, and role of the Messiah as high priest in heaven's temple. So this is where a lot of these ideas are conflated together. Yeah, I agree. And unfortunately, in the chapters also, I see people saying, well, Yahweh is Yeshua. Yeshua is the, Yahweh. The, the oneness people showed up. The oneness. Yeah. And it's just like, guys... No, the, the scriptures don't say that at all. And unfortunately, that comes from the understanding of the marriage contract, right? Yes. Yeah. And Israel and, you know, being divorced. Which, and then, which is dependent upon dispensation theology that yeah. that Sinai was the first moment that God made a contract with mankind and specifically with Israel. It's all, it's just, it's just not, man. Yeah. It's just not scriptural. But this is what we're dealing with, like un, unwinding the, the onion layers of just tradition compiled on traditions, you know, mm -hmm. greater than me. No, he says the Father is greater than I. So it's about the persons of the Trinity, not the being of the Trinity. Persons and being, two different concepts. Are persons and being two different concepts, brother? If let's hear that again. Yes, I guess. Let's, let's hear that again, shall we? First off, I'll say it's person-specific. What he doesn't say is God is greater than me. No, he says the Father is greater than I. So it's about the persons of the Trinity, not the being of the Trinity. So do you hear that semantics at play yeah. there? He's not saying God is greater than he's saying the Father is greater. But do you already said the Father was God? So it's just semantics, guys. Yeah. Hopefully you guys understand. This is just switcheroo. This is like those guys that, you know, they they do the the ball in the cup, you know, and they're trying to give you five dollars to guess where the where the ball ends up in the cup on the street corners of in London. Yeah. Like, this is just the old switcheroo, guys. And and he's only he's only greater in this circumstance because she was in yeah. the flesh, the sons in the flesh, right? Whereas when he <laughs> goes back to the father then they're the father's no longer greater they're co-equal and co-eternal again that's what right? they try to that's, teach right it, there's this one of my favorite shows from the past was this funny comedy show called community and uh it used to come on nbc a long time ago and there's this there's this episode where jeff is running for like um a student president and he's running against this girl named annie and uh he gives a speech and everyone just goes crazy and starts applauding and he turns and looks he looks to her on stage and he goes, they like it when you switch the words around. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's all we're watching guys. He just said, it's not because God is greater. It's the father's greater. So, and you know, 30 minutes earlier, he said, you know, we don't believe in three gods. We believe in three persons and all of them are God.
-hmm. Guys, this is just switching the words around. This is semantics. This is not scriptural exegesis. This is why he had to stop with John 1, 1 and said he was God because that's what the Trinity says. And you're like, bro, you're just repeating a mantra. You're not exegeting scripture according to the definitions of words or their context. Yeah. Persons and being, two different concepts. Um, second, I'll say this. Jesus, also in John, John 17, 5, sound familiar? Um, we were just in John 17. He says, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. What was Jesus looking forward to? Why was he going to the Father? Why was this a good thing? Because Jesus had laid aside his glory when he became a human, right? When he took on flesh. He's still God, right? The word came and dwelt among us, right? He has the fullness of the Godhead or fullness of the deity bodily. So he's still God, but he's... And that's the hypostatic union they teach. Which he will claim. I don't know if, is it in this or, or maybe it no, was he just said it. No, but he'll claim that the whole concept of God, Jesus being a hundred percent God and hundred percent man, that makes it's him 200%. 200%. And he's like, that, yeah. okay, that doesn't work. So the hypostatic. But he just union, said it though. He did he, say he, it. He, yes. he admits later it doesn't work, but he's preaching it right now when he yeah. says his glory is what he, he disembodied to become a man. But while he's still a man, he's fully God. Yes. And, and so Sean, you're like, did he disembody or not? Right. And when he puts up that, that uh, graphic where it's the whole God is in the center, you know, son yeah. is not Jesus, but is this, is that, and all that. Later on, he goes and says that Jesus is the father. He's, he right. said, I don't know if it's in this, but it's in the hour and a half. And I'm like, dude, you just had this graphic up and you said that Jesus is not the father, is not the Holy Spirit, but is you know, like, you're, you're, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lots wonky. of contradictory statements here. Bodily. He's in the body and he is humbled and he is lowly. So he's looking forward to the glorification that comes when he returns to the father. So this is a temporary situation where the, the father's greater than me in this sense is, I think, a temporary thing. Another scripture that supports this and that I would say you could take someone to. I do believe that Yeshua had, like, what are you saying here? You should have glory with the father before the world existed. I'll I agree that with too. that. Yeah. Sure. That's scripture. That's directly in scripture, right? Yeah. Also, just for everyone watching, I just hope I just want to make sure everyone knows that I actually reached out to Mike Winger a couple of years ago and asked him to come on my channel to interview him because he was going hard against Torah observance back in there and teaching dispensation theology and all that kind of stuff, which he still holds to. But I invited him on for a conversation about that topic and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And he he replied to me and he said, I looked at your channel and I can't understand what you're about. And I was like, um, yeah. For, for one, I don't understand how that works, but two, who cares if you don't understand what I'm about? I, I made it very clear what I'm inviting you on to discuss and, you know, and we can go over the scriptures together, but I get it. He was at that time, he was like 50,000 subscribers. I was only like 2000 subscribers. So sometimes, you know, that kind of stuff comes into play. You know what I'm saying? So I get it. That's fine. But and I'm not offended. It's fine. He doesn't, he has no obligation to come onto my channel. That's well, you're, you're speaking a different language. I kingdom in context, Sean. <laughs> but the point is I, he then told me you are free to use any of my videos for commentary and clips or whatever you want to do. So just so you guys know, he actually gave me permission to use this clips tonight uh, for us to review his, his information. Okay. Speaking of Jesus, it says that who, though he was in the form of God, he was in the form of God. Could it be more clear? Did not e did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So he, he, he was equal with God, but he didn't hold on to that, right? Not with the Father. Verse 7, it says, But emptied himself by taking the form of a, of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men. So Jesus comes and he humbles himself and he empties himself of, of glory of some, something is, is happening to him. He's being demoted, right? He's still, his being is still there. He's still the fullness of the deity in, in the bodily form, but he's demoted, right? He comes as a servant. He comes as a human. Verse eight, it says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself being by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, which was the most embarrassing and hateful way to die uh, in the ancient world. I agree. And so what we have is this, this humbleness, this coming down of Christ. And so he says, oh, you'd be happy for me. I'm going to the father. Because what happens when he goes to, to, to the father? What happens, guys? Well, Don't let him in. Before Mike answers, what happens, Kim, when he goes to the father? Sorry, I was I was looking up something in the Greek there. I missed that. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry about that. Yeah, so Mike, Mike says, what happens when he goes to the father? So when, when Yeshua ascends to the father, you know, what happens, yeah. right? He goes to his right hand and passes through the firmaments and yeah, starts doing his priestly duties. He gets on with it. That's right. Hebrews 5, Hebrews 4, Hebrews 1, Hebrews 4, Hebrews 5, Hebrews 8, uh, Hebrews 9. Like it, He literally has a job to do. This is what was prophesied of him. Psalm 110, 1 through 4, Zechariah 6, 11 through 15, Isaiah 53, 6 through 12. Not only was he promised to become a king, king of kings and lord of lords, he was also promised to come and become a high priest of Israel. And so this is why he, once he ascends to the father, he gets ordained into his priesthood, which is the positionally described in ancient Israel as the right hand of God. Mm -hmm. You're the minister of God, right? So he, and that's why he was put above the angels who there used to be an angel up there. That was the right hand. But now Yeshua gets the, in the priestly position. He gets up there and he becomes the right hand of God. Okay. So if I could say it like that, you know, um, so the point is like, yeah, it's this is why when it says he's exalted to his position at the right hand of the Father, if you understand the Old Testament, you realize he's talking about a priesthood position. It's not saying he became co-equal with the Father. Okay, yeah, we'll get back I to agree. it. Yeah. Verse 9, it says, um, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the exaltation of Christ comes. That, I think, is what John 14, 28 is referring to. You'd rejoice. I'm going to the Father. He's greater than me, uh, not in being in the sense, but in uh, this current state of personhood. Maybe I could... Yeah, he is greater in being because he just says it three chapters later in John 17. Mm -hmm. And he says it in John chapter 10, the Father's greater than I. In John 17, he says, I go to the one true God. Like it's the one true God, John 17, 3. So it... This is a point here where you have a pastor quoting a verse, but then verses before it and after it uh, negate his commentary on that verse. And so with, with as much kindness and respect as we can, we've got to call you out. Like, bro, you've just, you're literally, you're, you're isolating a passage. This is called cherry picking. Yeah. You're isolating a passage. And, and he had Philippians 2.6 up on the screen there. And, um, you know, a lot of translations, this is a, a messy one. You know, some of them say, yeah. though he was God, he did not think of equality with God. Some of them say, who being in the very nature God, who existed yeah. in the form of God. Again, all of them capitalized G gods. Um, right. When they should be. <laughs> yeah. Imagine with, the, with the, the definition we've given you previously about God, being in the form of a divine nature, being in the form of being in the, the divine nature of an Elohim, right? 
or of yeah. a ruler in heaven, a divine being in heaven. He didn't, even though he was living in as a spirit being in heaven, he did not count equality with Yahweh a thing to be grasped. Right. Which, which, but co-equal though, right? He's not co-equal. <laughs> oh, well, but you know what I mean? So that debunks <laughs> right. it right there. Like even right. while he was there before he came, he did not consider equality with God something that he could have because that's, that's right. not attainable being someone that's that right. came from the father as a not, you know, that's crazy. Yeah. Yep. Uh, in the ancient world. And so what we have is this, this humble to the glory of God, the father. I'm going to so skip forward a little bit. The answer there is that, here. but in uh, this current state of personhood, maybe I could put it that way. That might be clumsy, but that's my understanding. Okay. Number four, question number four, was God praying to God? I think the answer there is that is tritheism. We don't think there's two different gods praying, right? That would be tritheism. We also don't think of modalism where, where like God sort of miming to himself. But if you have three persons and you have one being, then in that sense, Jesus, the son can pray to the father, which is how he addressed his prayers. Didn't he call them gods earlier? Yeah, so he is saying tritheism. Yeah, even though like, he's saying the, the father, you know, the son was praying to the father, tritheism. But like, why didn't the son pray to the Holy Spirit? Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's right. just. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Again, he, this is just the classic, the classic situation of someone doing something and saying they're not doing something, right? Yeah. Because of the cognitive dissonance. He continues to describe the three persons as gods. But then continues to say they're they're not they're not be they're not gods. We're not we're not describing tritheism. And then he says Jesus didn't pray God to God. He didn't pray to his Father. Therefore, two gods are praying to each other. No, because they're individual persons. And so it's it's semantics mixed with just outright denial. And yeah. it, it's just this this is such contradictory uh, stuff. It's just a mess. Yeah. Father. Yeah. Typically speaking, he said Father. Um, so there's there's that. Um, there's that. The son is the person, the God is the being in, in the terminology we're using. And how do I, how do I answer the question? How does, how does, uh, well, he just, he just gave away it right there. The son is the person, the God is the being and the terminology yeah. we're using <laughs> and the terminology that's approved by the Trinitarian council. Otherwise you're out of the faith in the terminology of the cult. Therefore, this is the son is the father. The son is not the father, but the son is the God and the God is the being. This so is an anxiety inducing doctrine man it really is like if you're if you're new to the faith and you're trying to like who do you pray to who who's like who, like it's just so like it's uh, what, I, what i and joked with my wife you're right it is and and I, I joked with my wife um a few days ago i said you know we should put out a list of the most overused words in 2022 and uh gaslighting would be on that list and that's yeah. all this doctrine is it's gaslighting it's it's saying look i'm doing this but i'm not doing this so believe it and shut up like I'm, yeah. I'm calling them three gods, but I'm like, not calling like them three gods when you yeah. question me on it. So yeah. if you question me on it again, you're in the wrong. You're horrible. You're you're an anathema. Get out of here. Don't question me on it. Even though I said there's three gods, but then I said there are three persons who are all individually God. So it's just gaslighting. That's yeah. it God pray to God, so to speak. Well, that's because of the Trinity, because there's this relationship, love. Remember relationship in the persons of the Trinity. It's only possible because God is triune. The Trinity can answer the questions that the other views of God cannot answer. 
Um, number five, fifth question. How can Jesus be God if he is God's son? Um, hopefully you already know the answer to this one, guys, right? He is his son in the sense of person, but in the sense of being, he is God. So how can Jesus be God if he's God's son? Because of the Trinity. Trinity is the answer to the question. That's how, <laughs> because of the doctrine of the Trinity. Like, there it is. <laughs> he, he's not even trying to go to the scripture. He's just said because of the Trinity. It's like it's like doing one of those tests, Sean, where you like you fill in the little black circles, right? And then you got yeah. the professor's got the little cheat the sheet that goes over top. And yeah. you can see on the grid, okay, yo, you got that one wrong because it didn't show up in my little paper here. The paper is yeah. the Trinity, Sean. It is. It just yeah. is. It's, it, it solves everything. Question number six. But Colossians that Colossians, by the way, that was it. That that 15 seconds, that was it. Totally he, he did it. not yeah. he did not even try to offer rebuttal about the nature of the son, why he was sent, why there's a distinguishment between first Timothy two, five, him mediating to the father and what that requires according to scripture. Like there's none of that. It's just because the Trinity, that's why, that's why, yeah. that's how the father can, the son can be the, the and, son and that's the a, that's a huge one. Like he should have yes. definitely done his due diligence and, and give a better explanation there and done his homework there with that one. Because as he said at the beginning of this video, his intention with this video is that question there's so much confusion going on with this, right? It's a mess and we need to be able to help people understand it. So I'm going to give you, you know, right. I'm going to equip you with the stuff to, to be able to combat the, those who are questioning it. That previous one that like, that's not enough brother. Sorry. It's not. Well, we'll hear it again. Cause it's so short. Yeah. How can Jesus be God? If he is God's son, um, hopefully you already know the answer to this one guys, right? He is his son in the sense of person. But in the sense of being, he is God. So how can Jesus be God if he's God's son? Because of the Trinity. Trinity is the answer to the question. That's how. Because of the doctrine of the, tri the triunity of God. So in Psalm 45, 6 and 7, which is repeated in Hebrews 1, verse 9 and 10, and it says, God said to my God, I've anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. Yeah. So this, this idea is, yes, this is how we can speak of Yah Yahweh the Almighty as God. And his son as our Lord, who's a ruler, because the word God also means ruler and mm -hmm. also means Lord in the proper context. So yeah. in order to be anointed with the oil of gladness above your companions, that's a reference to the priesthood. That was prophesied back in Psalm 45 for Yahweh speaking to the ruler he was to send to us. The same ruler that Yahweh says in Psalm 2, 6 through 7, I have anointed my king to rule. Yeah. I've chosen my king. So. Yeah, it's they're just not defining the words, guys. This is um, this is this is uh, amateur exegesis. Question number six, but Colossians Colossians says that Jesus is the first creation of God. Colossians, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. First off, it doesn't say he's created. <laughs> like that's not what the text says. It says first before it even says anything, it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Like, if you want to see God, you look at Jesus, right? He's the image of the invisible God because he took on human form. So he's God in human form. Um, he's the first born of all creation. What does that mean? Well, it, it's referring to the fact that Jesus is in charge of all creation. Um, why do I say that? Because first born doesn't mean first one born. And, and real quick, Ken, I'm actually going to agree with him a lot on this answer. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm agreeing. Like the text doesn't say exactly when Jesus was created or if he was created. And I don't. And so therefore, it definitely shouldn't be a salvation issue. Right. Because yeah. it doesn't say either way. 
I'm fine with that. It can it can um, be referred to preeminence, like a yeah, it can. Yeah. And then at, but I personally believe furthering down in Colossians chapter one, where it talks about him having supremacy over all things, you know, I think that that's why he would be the first. He would be with the Father before the world began, and and you know, Enoch forty six and forty eight would his it was the son's authority being announced to all the other beings in heaven. Like I get that. That makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. So that now even before incarnation, as he's still a divine being in heaven, he has preeminence and supremacy over uh, still under the father, but he still has supremacy, but then coming in the flesh, doing his mission, then being glorified again. Now he has supremacy, not just over heaven, but also over earth. Yeah. So therefore he gets all things in heaven and earth under his authority as he's still subjected to God, the father as first Corinthians 15 says. Right. It's the whole begotten thing. That's not what too, firstborn right? always yeah. means, especially yeah. when you're talking about preeminence, when you're talking about a person's rank. Firstborn is this, in a sense of rank is not always about genes and about when you're born. Besides, Jesus wasn't the first person born. Um, so that's what a, is this speaking of? In fact, it says the straw man uh, and, and a wordplay because the word the idea of being born is usually associated with a woman and a womb of a woman, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not of the angels that were created on day one by God. They weren't born. They were created as unique creations by God on day one. They didn't come yeah. out of a womb in heaven. So yeah. that's that's a little bit more of a misframing right first there. Born of creation, not firstborn of beings or something like that. It's not about birth here. No. Um, so Psalm 89.27 uses the, the same word, prototokos, firstborn uh, in the Septuagint in the Greek. Psalm 89.27, it says, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. This is speaking um, about the Davidic son and that he won't be the firstborn by nature of birth, but by nature of being made the firstborn and firstborn will be what? In relationship to the other kings. So he'll be the highest of the kings. Firstborn here just means king of kings. It doesn't have anything to do with creation. It means king of kings. Seventh question, last question, then I go to your questions. It is why didn't Did you did you want to say something about that? Bro? I was just gonna say this was this was one of the uh the big contentions at the Council of Nicaea with Arius is this this concept of Yeshua being begotten, right? He, he and actually he does um he does quote Paul in this instance as the firstborn being the firstborn of all creation, like literally being the firstborn made type thing or brought forth. So this was a, a highly contested, um, you know, part of the doctrine, I guess, at, at the Council of Nicaea. And I agree with Arius on this one in, in the sense of the sure. begotten. He brought up the begotten means like that something uniquely created was uniquely created, was brought forth. Mm -hmm. Therefore, him being brought forth means that he wasn't there all the time because he was brought forth. Whereas the That's father right. That's right. wasn't brought forth. And this is why I think the apocalypse of Abraham is huge. I highly recommend people read it, look into the historicity of it. Um, basically, Abraham is in heaven in this one part of this uh, this book. And he... In, in visions of God. He's, in the visions yeah. of God. And he uh, the angels singing to him. And in the song, he, he's describing how Yahweh was the only unbegotten. Mm -hmm. the only immaculate the only immortal unbegotten right so yeshua yeah. is begotten yahweh's unbegotten that's a huge differentiation it's one of the main hmm. i wonder why trinitarians compiling the canon wouldn't include in that book yeah i know yeah yeah this is all all connected jesus say i am god why didn't jesus just come out and say hey guys i'm god and the answer is you're saying it right now he did <laughs> That's exactly what he did. He did it in John. He did it in Revelation. He did it 
in multiple places in the text of scripture, which is why they respond by trying to kill him for it, where he basically quotes scriptures and, and says the words of God in claims of his own identity. Um, Ken, you and I are both musicians. You make wonderful music. I try. We should come together and make a song called Learn the Definition of God. <laughs> yes. Well, we might something, call it something a little bit catchier, but yeah, right, right. Something yeah. poppy, maybe a little bit, a little bit more catchier. Something like yeah. you know, before you go condemn your brethren, learn the definitions of God. <laughs> Elohim in the Hebrew, chaos <laughs> in the Greek. Yeah. What do these words mean? Well, this we're is, gonna sing it to you. We, yeah. This is turning very much into a, a puppet stage show of 1990s. Uh, I was say, no one school. no one think that this is going to end up on one of my albums in the future because it's it not, it, at least not that will version. Not. no it will not <laughs> it's pretty clear um john 5 and john 8 and i mean just read on and on so he did but he was careful to distinguish his personhood from the father because he didn't want to confuse us about the trinity so bottom line we just believe the whole bible um, no you no you don't no no you don't brother <laughs> oh i love that fallacy that's so good like, no you don't therefore so we a... believe the whole bible the whole bible and you don't <sighs> okay yeah. yeah so what do you even call that what do you even call that like um uh it's not an appeal to authority uh put it in the chat if you guys know what kind of logical argumentation fallacy is that where they just say Look, I'm going off of, I, I believe the whole text and you don't, even when they're just over and over ignoring huge parts of the text or reinterpreting it or just straight not interpreting it. Um, yeah, I, I just don't even know. And that's yeah. I, that's not an answer to say, it, to, someone's asking, why doesn't Jesus say he was God? And, and Mike's like, oh, he does. He does. He does everywhere. He does. He does all the time. And you're like, that's not, bro, that's not what you would do if you're pastoring someone to show them the scriptures. And you go and you, you of course, many of them go straight to John 8, right? And they try to yeah. say, well, look, he said before Abraham was, I am, that's him declaring his God. So that's called interpretive ice. Well, it's actually technically exegesis, but it's a strong interpretive stance of exegesis on a, on a stated stated thing in the text that they are in giving you the behind the scenes meaning of according to their doctrine. So as opposed to the actual context of the conversation. So this is why I, I just, I struggle with this so bad, man. I just, it's just so disingenuous to people trying to learn the word of God. And it yeah. literally hides the wonderful, amazing purpose that the son was sent for. And it literally, you know, Trinitarians are so worried about us questioning the deity of Christ because we question the Trinity. Well, guess what? They're literally emasculating the purpose of the son mm -hmm. by adhering to the Trinity because yeah. they have not a clue what the son is actually doing for them right now. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's so disrespectful to the text. It, this is why it has to be supported and, and forced with so much emotion yeah. because it's just, it's just absolutely not scriptural. Yeah, I agree. And one of the logical fallacies that he uses throughout, and he probably doesn't mean to, is it's the appeal to fear, right? It's a trick that causes yeah. your audience to fear others while they also seek your protection. So it's like, he's, and he concludes with, I teach the whole Bible. He started with, there's these yeah. other cults, right? So the cult is the fear aspect, right? So your audience right. is like, okay, well, he's claiming to teach the whole Bible. Therefore, the cult aren't. So I'm going to side with him. And that's how he he gets them through the appeal to fear. And it's, that's crazy. <laughs> so someone in the chat's asking, what's the motive for a pastor doing this? And this is what we try to explain throughout this last two hours is that 
I promise you, he was taught this at seminary. Yeah. Just like, just like Ken gave his testimony to say he tried to sign up for a seminary online course and they kicked him out because he disagreed with the Trinity. So therefore, if Mike wants to get his pastoral uh, certification from that seminary, he's got to agree with the litmus. He's got to agree with the curriculum. Excuse me. So like this, of course, he's been put into subjugated fear that he has to teach this, even when he clearly doesn't have the answers for some of these questions. And guys, guess what? These aren't even difficult questions. I I could come up with my own questions for him. I would love to, if you'd ever like to have a conversation with me. Yeah. So like, you know what I'm saying? We could, we can hit him on some serious questions. Yeah. These are, these are amateur questions for people that don't know the Bible. Imagine someone that's actually studied in the old Testament and actually knows the functionary purpose of the Messiah. Could be why maybe he doesn't want to talk with us. I don't know. But the point is these are very light questions and he still can't even answer these with scripture. Because they were not taught with scripture, this theology. They were taught as a tradition of men with the words of men with fear and intimidation tactics. And that's why they continue to propagate it with the same mantras. And the ones in the seminaries, I don't believe that. And maybe maybe there are some, but probably most of them aren't doing it like to try to dupe people into the whole fear tactic thing. You know what I mean? Like I went to um, biblical life college or not biblical life. I went to a Bible college in British Columbia and uh, I loved my professors. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Old Testament, New Testament professors, they were great. And I never felt intimidated or anything like that. I know that's not what you're implying that they're doing, even though yeah, through the techniques no, used. And hey, stuff, my is. Bible college professor, I love, I love them too. My Bible college teachers were awesome. Yeah. 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 So it's, it, I don't think Mike is like, he probably went there, learned what he did and loved it. You know what I mean? Didn't feel like he was intimidated and feel like he got, got duped in any way. He's just, this is just but part and parcel with what we're seeing though. It's that would be an amazing documentary to do is to go to a, a Trinitarian teaching seminary campus and privately interview people, you know, like they do like with the, the old like blacks out their face and changes yeah. their voice, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And saying, do you believe that this, this uh, seminary would allow you to continue if you disagree with the Trinity and see what they say. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, it'd be interesting. It'd be very interesting. Yeah. We just believe the whole Bible as, as Trinitarians. That's what we believe. The yeah. final challenge people might have on the Trinity is this. I just don't get it, Mike. I believe, you know, I, okay. You show me the Bible teaches it, but I don't understand it very well. I just, it just doesn't click for me. And to that, I will say this. Um, your job is not to fully understand and comprehend all things. Your job is to trust what God has revealed. My challenge to you is if the scripture says, if God says, this is what I'm like, and you say, yeah, I hear you saying that God, but I just don't, eh, I just don't follow. Then that is a dangerous arrogance on your part. When God speaks to us and tells us who he is. I think therapists would call this projection. Yeah, (laughs) I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. When you're like, yeah. So he says that he's not equal with the father. He says that he comes from the father, goes back to the father. He's never equal with the father, but you don't believe it. Who's in the dangerous arrogance part here? I don't know. Yeah, I know. Um, there should be no debate. Now, if you have a debate about whether or not you should even trust the Bible, well, you can go, you know, look at my evidence for the Bible series or something like that. That's not what I'm doing in this video. This, this video is about um, from a biblical perspective, can we support the doctrine of the Trinity? And it's very no. clearly, taught no trusting god means saying lord when you tell me this is who you are i believe you because i so now now is it hitting really hard on the emotional appeal well he's putting words in yahweh's mouth right yeah yeah Yeah, it's appeal to what is it authority yeah this is rough right here have faith
because I believe you. I trust you. See, that's why he summed it all up with, even if you don't understand it, Yahweh says it, he, he, you better believe it. You better trust him. Have faith. This is, this is the like, blind like, loyalty. Oh, sorry. Go what's ahead. that? Go ahead. I was going to say, this is, this is the blind loyalty fallacy. That's what this yes. is. This is what Mike wants is it. Yeah. You, you're going to believe it because I'm a respected leader. Um, and I say that it's right. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I just mimicked Yahweh saying that this is what it is. You're not going to believe Yahweh. So yeah. Yeah. It's real. Yeah, it's funny though because I'm thinking, does he keep that same energy when it comes to the topic of the ferment? <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Ken, any any concluding thoughts as we wrap up tonight, brother? Yeah, this was a, a decently long one. Um, I had fun, brother. I just think people are always going to be wrestling with this. Unfortunately. Um, it can be pretty frustrating. You want to know who your creator is, who your savior is, right? And when you're told things that don't make sense to you and that you have to believe it, it, it it's rough. It really is. And I've been there so I can empathize. And if that's you, I would just ask you to do, do your research and don't be scared to. Don't be scared. Don't buy into this whole, you're not part of the faith. It's a salvation issue. If you don't fully understand this mystery that no one can really fully explain, but you just have to believe it. Don't fall for that. Um, pray, pray to the father for understanding. And I do believe he will give it to you. I believe that um, the spirit will show you what the scriptures say. It'll point you to the sun and what the sun does. And as you discern what that is through the spirit, you'll start to make the connections that the Trinitarian doctrine just falls to pieces. It's not, it's not there. So, yeah. 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 Um, thanks everyone for joining us in the chat. Um, I gave most of my commentary through, through the videos and they're stopping, but I just, my heart breaks that there's so many people that feel like they can't talk about this or even ask about this. And there's so many pastors that do not have answers for this. Yet, yet they require you to believe it as a part of your faith. It's just not honest. Mm -hmm. It's intellectually dishonest and it's a manipulative tactic that should not exist in the body. Um, and the fruit of it, as we've continued to, to see, the fruit of it is not the fruit of the spirit at all. No, it really so, isn't. Sean, I, I would love for this community of faith, of this body of believers as fractured and bruised and twisted up as we all are, I would love us to get to a point where we don't condemn and bring up like the soteriological salvation related stuff into this, because I've seen it on your interviews with people, debates and stuff where they, you're having a great conversation. And then by the end, somehow the Trinity gets brought up all of a sudden the demeanor of the other person's like, Whoa, hold on a sec. This whole time you haven't been a Trinitarianism or Trinity yeah. believing in the Trinity. And then they just, you're not my brother. You're yeah. not of the faith. You're, you're, you know what I mean? I would love yeah. for us. It, even it's if, happened. It's happened live three times. I know. And it's brutal. Yeah. It's a horrible witness. It draws people away, in my opinion, um, from wanting to be part of this because it's just like, give me a break. Like we, you can believe in the Trinity. Okay. And still claim that Sean and I, and everyone else who's questioning it and isn't there with you are brothers. We love you. Yeah. We love the son. That should we be do. it. Right. What did Peter yeah. say when, when Yeshua said, who do you say that I am? That's the answer. If we believe that doesn't matter like how we get to that. If we believe that, that should be. And it. what, what was the answer that was, he, did Jesus say, 
Right, son of the living God. That's right. right. Not that he was equal to the Father. Not that they were three persons in one Godhead. Not that the that he was the Father himself. None of that Trinitarian yeah. or oneness mantras. Yeah. He just simply said the same thing he told to the Pharisees. You, you know that Yeshua preached everywhere he goes that he was sent by the Father. He was the Son of the living God. And what did Jesus say back to Peter in that moment, Mark eight? He was ecstatic. He said, "Praise the Lord for the Father showed this to he you. Revealed it to you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So." He did not have to have this grand moment of revealing the three persons in one God Trinity concept to Peter. They None of these people believe that nonsense because they understood the purpose and the prophecies of why the father would send his son to the earth to become a man and endure the cross and selflessly sacrifice his body to be beaten and tortured unto death on the cross. And then in the heart of the earth, three days resurrected and glorified with this new wonderful glorified body that's the promise to everyone in faith and belief at the resurrection and then ascend to heaven to go be a minister that's a real job type that's a real position ken imagine imagine if we started walking around and telling people if you don't believe that jesus is actually a priest for you right now which is what hundreds of verses say then you're not out of the faith did yeah. you know that justin martyr in um Justin Martyr in uh, in one of his I think is the dialogue with Trifo. There's actually a, a place in there where he says that people who don't believe in um, in the resurrection they're not of the faith. So like they were taking hardline stances back then. Mm -hmm. You know that was about 150 AD. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We're trying to be nice about this. We're not taking those hardline stances. Like if you want to believe in the Trinity, have fun. Just stop condemning your brethren who don't because there's not a lot of scriptural evidence for it. It's all interpretive semantics, eisegesis, or lack of definitions to support that doctrine. But yet over on the other side, we have people just trying to learn the Bible itself. Yeah. You know and what I mean? That, yeah. Ultimately, so, I think it's the plot has been lost and the plot being yeah. the kingdom, right? The understanding of the kingdom. Yeah. And, and what that and what the father's trying to accomplish through his son to get us all to his kingdom, his house. So that that plot's been lost, in my opinion. And when you understand that then you can reverse engineer the understanding of who the son and the father truly are through that. But if you don't know what the kingdom is all about, that it's a physical real place that's coming down with angels and resurrected immortals. And you know what I mean? All that stuff that, that you just, you lose it and we've lost right. the plot. So we're, we're trying to bring the plot back to people's understanding, I think. Yeah. Cause that you, Jesus didn't walk around telling people you got to believe in the Trinity. He walked around saying emphatically, I was sent to teach the gospel of the kingdom of God. This is Luke chapter four, verse 43 and 44. So, yeah. amen, Ken, I really appreciate your contribution tonight. You're a blessing, brother. Yeah. Um, guys, go check out Ken Heidebrecht's channel, Hanging on His Words, as you can see behind you, type it in. He's also just released new music, an entire album uh, from his uh, his his uh, music production, Mountains Into the Sea. Um, great, amazing, horizontal and vertical worship music. It's all there. Thanks, it's man. good stuff, brother. Yeah. Thank you. So, guys, thanks for joining us tonight, and uh, I think we'll, we'll be done. We'll sign off. You guys, go download the app if you haven't already. Um, it's in the app stores uh, for free, and you can have a good time. There's also a fellowship finder on there, so you can – Ken, that's noticed there's like quite a few people in your region jumping on the fellowship finder. Yeah, it's very awesome to see that. Uh, it's encouraging that that fellowship finder is you know, swarming with more dots, and I think it's just going to – completely overtake the image on the screen with blue dots one day everything the whole continents everything is just going to be blue dots it's amazing it's it's wonderful in fact i'll put it on the screen here because i have back at backdoor access to the actual site um that the the, the app uses but um so yeah this is the fellowship finder you can go on to you can view view this on the actual app the kingdom of context app 
but uh, there's people all over the United States, all over the world, actually. Um, I mean, there's, we even got more people in South America now. That's awesome. And um, there are people all over Africa, Europe, the Middle East, um, India, Micronesia, Southeast Asia, Indonesia, Australia, everywhere. And this guy's way out here. Look at this guy, way out here. I don't even know what island that is. What, what is that? Yeah, where is he at? Suva. I don't know what the island of Suva is. Nice. Maybe it's, it might be part of Oceana. But man, either way, like there's people all over the world, a part of our Fellowship Finder app. Guys, if you haven't already downloaded the Kingdom and Context app, you, you got to go do it. It'll, you'll have a good time with it. And uh, we're growing it. We're adding new things all the time. So there's going to be some really cool things for uh, that we're doing to help people support each other's businesses within the community. So keep downloading and, and keep keep it going. And of course, once I finish the study guide, Ken, that's all going to be on there for free access as well, too. Awesome. So big shout out to everyone that's helping us get the study guide finished as one of our Patreon supporters. Um, don't forget, if you're a Patreon supporter at the family tier, you can actually download the completed PDFs already. I'm about to drop a whole bunch more here in the next few weeks. And you can actually download those PDFs of those books for free. And then in the future, when they're all done, I'll upload it onto the app. And then you can actually buy a printed version if you want. So good things are coming, guys. We just want to get the truth of God's word out. And we want to teach each other to love each other. <laughs> Amen. Amen. even even if you're hugging and you occasionally you know sock sock your brother because you're playing rough still you love each <laughs> other at the end of the day yeah all right guys thank you so much we'll see you next time take care